Yes, yes, y'all, it's going down right now. Episode 77 of the 22 Shots of Moods and Horror podcast is coming at you live. I am your host, Mood616, also known as Moods. And of course, I've always got my half-blooded fucking asshole Mexican soulmate with me, Double Shot J, also known as JP. And yes, that was a shout-out to you, Jeremy. What's going on, homie? Yo, dog, we are back <laughs> up in this bitch once again. We are weekly. We are not slowing down for nothing. We're just going to keep rolling, and we're, we're doing big things over here at the 22 Shots. We got a director's spotlight on Frank Henenlotter tonight, also known as the Basket Case Trilogy tonight. But next week, we also will have another, yeah, that's right, another director's spotlight on frank henenlotter which we will be covering mm. his other three films his other three main films i know he did uh didn't he just do the sexploitation documentary as well he did actually and he also directed i mean that's what he's done in the last few years and he also directed the herschel gordon lewis documentary also recently so that's pretty cool he's kind of taken that documentary route but yes part two will con- uh will consist of brain damage frankenhooker and Bad Biology. Which are all brand new watches for me. Actually, this was mostly new watches this episode too. Because I'd only seen the original Basket Case. Um, but I picked up uh, Basket Case 2 already on 3 for this show. So uh, getting my Frank Henenlotter on. Uh, looking forward to his other films. His uh, his three. I, I've definitely at least heard good things about Frank and Hooker. Um, so yeah, man, that's pretty cool. Uh Frank Henenlotter, we we, yeah. we kind of do these um, director spotlights. Obviously, we did like Wes Craven, and <clears throat> we did the uh, Italian month where it was like Argento and Bava and and Fulci and Sauve, and those are sort of bigger name directors. Suave, Suave, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, of course, we started it off with the Ryan Nicholson spotlight back in the day, and we figured like, okay, well, there's obviously like Romero and which probably will come one day and you know we got carpenter and you got these big names but what about the names that don't get enough recognition uh like frank henlotter and we figured that th- it would be like cool to do uh you know two separate like trilogies of films with him why and, not uh, right? why not why the hell not man and it works out perfect too because he's only made like six feature films so it just works out great to do two parts why not do the trilogy and the other three um, <clears throat> interesting note about Frank Henenlotter. They actually, I think basket case two came out in what? 1990, I think is the year of release for it. I think so. Uh, um, they actually made Frankenhooker before, but it ended up getting released after uh, basket case two. Oddly enough. I did know that uh, kind of strange, but yeah. uh, so one of the things about uh, doing these director spotlights is that there's a lot of directors to choose from. So I'm sure we will return. I know people have thrown out like uh, Takashi Miike as well would be another cool one to do. Uh, you know, something else about Frank Hennenlotter modes, you know, you said we do the Basket Case trilogy and then sort of the only other three films that are real films that he did. Not real films, but, you know, movies that he did. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if he, if he happens to direct another documentary before he leaves this earth, we could always do a third Pen and Lauder special where we cover his three documentaries. <laughs> well, you know, with that said, um, I was actually watching uh, a documentary that was made for the second site uh, steelbook release of the Basket Case trilogy it was exclusive to the to the uh, to the release, and it's called "What's in the Basket." 
you know, appropriately titled, right? Correct. Uh, really good stuff. And at first I thought it was just going to be talking about, uh, you know, Basket Case 1, but it's actually about, you know, Basket Case 1, 2, and 3 and pretty much Frank Henenlauter's career. And there is a point in the in his career, in the, uh, you know, basically a lot of, you know, mostly interviews with uh, Frank Henenlauter, up-to-date stuff. And uh, there's a point where he does stress that he has actually worked on a script for Basket Case 4. Yes, which it actually is new is known for a long time now. Uh, I remember probably like ten years ago, mm. maybe not that long, but it was probably close to that long. I remember hearing rumblings about it on an old website that I used to go to frequently yeah. called UpcomingHorrorMovies.com. Yeah, he didn't. He didn't actually, you know, say anything about the script. He just said he's worked on it. He's got a little bit of it done. He's, he says a really good idea. He doesn't know if it'll ever get made, but it is always sitting there on the table to get made. And it was a really cool documentary because I learned a lot about Frank Henenlotter. There was a lot of stuff in the documentary I knew, but I always wondered why Frank Henenlotter took such a long period off of filmmaking, you know, right after he did like, you know, Frankenhooker to, I guess, uh, Bad Biology. There was like a long break there, you mm-hmm. know, like something like 12 or 13 years or something. Well, I guess pretty much when Basket Case 3 came out, um, you know, it was kind of at the end of where, you know, 42nd Street was just, you know, it was it had completely crumbled and like all the theaters and stuff and all the independent theaters and everything was just crumbling. And those are the type of films that he made and, you know, he wanted to show and stuff like that. And everything was just kind of not going the way he wanted to. And so he wanted, he he had a few ideas for films and stuff. And every time he pitched an idea for a film, whoever he pitched it to would say, no, we don't like that idea. And he was getting frustrated and they kept, and every time they would say no to his idea, they would say, why don't you just make another basket case film? <laughs> so he got, so he got super pissed off basically with film and the, the whole industry. He actually decided to not make films purposely for a long time. And then he came back, of course, with bi- bad biology years later. And, you know, he's done his documentary since, but that's why there's a long period of no, you know, theatrical films or, you know, films in general for that, that long time period, which is kind of a shame that, you know, that happened, but I do respect his, you know, his decision to do that because he made films, you know, based on his ideas and he didn't want to make films just for making films. Yeah. It wasn't about money with him. He wanted to do a product that he wanted to make and watch and and enjoy. And he wanted to do these weird exploitation horror films and stuff. And if they didn't want to produce them, he didn't want to make them. Yeah. I, I love that about him, man. It's great. That's a very sort of similar to the things that I hear Joe Lynch and Adam Green talk about on the movie crypt podcast all the time is, is you never know if the film that you're making now is going to be your last film because of the landscape of Hollywood and the landscape of getting funding. You just never know. You you know, that's why they stress so much about people to not pirate and to support their art so that they have opportunities because the money that they make and a lot of people don't know this, the money they make is, is, is not, the money that you pay to see the movie with like that, that money doesn't go to them, but what it does help them is if the movie does good, then more people want to make movies with them. Um, you know, the studios are the ones that are making the money on the movies. Uh, but yeah, you know, um, it's, it's one of those things that it's kind of sad when you, when you hear that somebody specifically stepped away from filmmaking because, they could make bullshit, the movies yeah. that they wanted to make because, yeah. you know, it's it's sad to think that there are people with like great ideas who literally just stepped away because they they just couldn't get the funding for it. And I, you know, speaking of a basket case for, 
I think that a Kickstarter or an Indiegogo could be a good route for Mr. Henenwater to take considering how much I think it would take sort of, off. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like I could just see something like that sort of taking off and, yeah. and getting its funding. Uh, I think somebody should tell him that. I'm sure somebody has, but I mean, like, seriously, talk to him about it. <laughs> it probably a lot easier to raise money that way than the way he did for Basket Case One. He talked about how you know he he had like eight thousand dollars in his bank account, and he was like, "Oh, I want to make this movie, and I want to make this most ridiculous film ever." Like the the idea of Basket Case to him was, "I just want to make like the stupidest. I don't want to make a stupid film. I just want to make a film with a really stupid idea." You know, who knows? It might turn out good. It might not turn out good um the problem was he only had minimal money only had about eight thousand dollars it's like 1981 or something like that and what they were doing is they started to film this movie called basket case and uh they would basically show clips to you know certain people and stuff after they'd film them and that was their way of like getting investors to invest in the film he ended up with like 35 or 36 thousand dollars to make the whole film but that's how they did and they filmed this over like a couple years kind of thing well not a couple years i think it was like a year and a half or something it took them to actually accomplish this film because they didn't have any money Mm -hmm. they would shoot some pieces show it to god and you'd be like oh here's five thousand dollars and then they go build some (laughs) sets and then they would build some more um you know some more belials or something like that or they only used a couple i think or whatever but it was to build the sets and you know things like that and they just and he was literally kind of like writing the script as it went along he had a script but he would like write more parts and (laughs) i'm just like that is you know that's great that's just hardcore filmmaking right there but so Moves. A little different nowadays where you can just set up on the internet and go, hey, guys, <laughs> yeah, basket case four, man, you know, press uh, PayPal and uh, send and yep. <laughs> yeah, you really had the grind back then. That is but, grinding, uh, man, especially in those days. Like, oh, it's great. It's a great yeah, story. I'm, I'm sure we'll talk more about the behind the scenes as we get to the feature reviews. But I got, you know, Moods, have you ever. OK, so so when I was younger, I used to have this VHS tape and it was The Wizard of Oz. And I did not have like, a sleeve for it or anything. It was just the VHS tape and it was like it didn't have a like clamshell or anything. It was just the tape. Yeah. And I always knew about I always recognized that tape immediately on the shelf because the corner of it was cracked and there was black electrical tape over it. And it was my Naturally. cousin it was my cousin Scotty's tape. And it was when he lived in this projects and I, I'm talking like I was like three. And so I had always known, like known this tape for for the longest time. It was like like just it was always like passed around through the family, and the last person that had it was me, and I kind of forgot about it for a long, 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 long time. And then I was going through a box the other day, and I found it, and I was like, "Wow, like <laughs> this was my childhood. We watched this all the time." Isn't it weird how you can, uh, you know? see something that you haven't thought about in a long time and it and it's like oh yeah (laughs) this existed Uh, i forgot about that anything like that ever happened to you maybe like recently like today or anything um yeah actually it recently did um this happened uh yesterday i i want to say this happened yesterday so I was on Facebook and I was scrolling around and um, I went on to because, you know, last week we talked about VHS, you know, and so I went into that group, the VHS uh, Unite group, which is, you know, famous is in the documentaries and stuff. And and you and Kyle are just kind of, you know, hooked on that 
that uh, that web page or, or the Facebook page right now. Mm-hmm. And so I was like just kind of scrolling through there because I I just like looking at pictures that people are posting. Just I'm always curious to see what they're what they're selling and stuff. And I was scrolling through and I was having a good time. And I came across this picture of. Someone had posted a picture of uh, the Street Trash big box uh, released by Mega Films uh, last year. And I was like, oh, and it just triggered a memory instantly. And I read his comment that he had posted with it and it said, oh, this finally showed up in the mail. I thought it was just a myth. And I literally started laughing. I was like, holy shit, I never got mine. I had pre-ordered that big box, I believe, in March or April of like 2015 or whatever it was. So like a year Um, ago. Yeah, it's like over a year ago. And it was supposed to ship like I believe in the summertime. Anyways, so I remember I remember last summer when it did ship and I was kind of looking, waiting for it, waiting for it, never showed up. So, you know, a couple months or like I think about a month and a half went by and I emailed them, no response. Another month went by, emailed, nothing. Tried to contact on Facebook, nothing to my bill. And the, this went on for a couple months and I was like, okay, fuck. I just totally got screwed. Like, and the and it got me thinking too because I hadn't seen anyone show off this big box. I'm like, did these things even ship to people? So I just said, fuck it. I got burnt. I'll take the loss. Big fucking deal. So anyways, yeah, I'm scrolling through uh, the Facebook page. And so I see this picture. So I leave a comment and I just said, man, you know, that's awesome. I, I ordered one and I never got it. Well, to my amazement, not even like an hour later, the guy that runs Megafilms or the guy that was shipping these things out contacted me personally and he said hey man what was the email that you bought this under so i gave him the email that i thought it was under and he got back to me like about an hour later hour and a half whatever it was and he said yeah you know uh, i don't know what happened but we're gonna ship you out one like tomorrow which is like today i guess and um so hopefully i get it (laughs) pretty crazy stuff (laughs) that's like crazy man it is it's like that's like when your code red box showed up like a year later (laughs) i know right but that was even stranger because i didn't even know that was coming that was just like out of the blue completely. But this is <laughs> this is really random that I just happened to be scrolling through there because to be honest, that Facebook uh, group page gets like a million people posting a day, right? It's it's just odd even to find that post, you know, relatively yeah. close to the top. But I'm glad I did because hopefully I get it and it looks sexy and it's like one of my favorite movies. So I'm like, I, I'm getting really giddy right now. So that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 neat that you know, that happened like that. That's pretty cool. That's actually really cool of the guy to, to acknowledge the fact that he might've messed up and reach out to you too. That's pretty cool. And I, I didn't even, I didn't say to him at all. I'm like, Hey, you know, you never got back to me, blah, blah. I was just nice. But I was like, Hey, I was like, cool. You know, awesome. I was like, thanks for getting back to me. Awesome. And, uh, so we had this like really kind of polite back and forth and stuff. I wasn't going to be a dick because what's the point? Yeah. <laughs> right. I'm not going to be, be a dick now. He contacted me, went out of his way. So maybe who knows something maybe really did happen. And maybe it was just an oversight and you know, that order got lost or who knows, you know, you, you never know what these things. So independent yeah. companies, one person running the show oversight, who knows it happens. I can't be mad. So, but I mean, I can be, if it doesn't show up, yeah. <laughs> you're not going to do this to me twice. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah good stuff good stuff um but yeah should we uh maybe get into some news yeah man let's do the damn thing all right so i guess uh we could probably lead off with this uh scream factory announced that they were releasing they, they kind of get well they've announced that they were releasing return of living dead a long time ago but they finally gave us like the full specs and the pre-order links just the other day. And uh, it was kind of an interesting topic because it wasn't their necess- their normal 
sort of release they kind of uh they first they broke down like all the special features and stuff which honestly i was i was uh pretty pretty happy with that honestly i I thought it was pretty decent uh but they also said that they were going to do a deluxe offer through their website only limited to 1000 orders and what you would receive is the two disc collector's edition you would receive a limited edition 18 by 24 poster of the newly designed artwork, uh, a second uh, slipcover which has the alternate artwork on it that was that is exclusive to the deluxe offer, and also the second 18 by 24 poster of the newly designed artwork. Plus, you'll receive it, I believe, two weeks early. I think they said three, three weeks. Oh yeah, three weeks early. So three weeks early, which the release date is July nineteenth. So uh, you'll receive it sometime in late June, I guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, basically, uh, the release itself has a new two K scan uh, because there is a Blu Ray edition out already, but I guess this is a new one, a new uh, transfer. Uh, a new audio commentary with uh, the co-author of The Complete History of Return of the Living Dead and Chris Giffiths, which I believe, if I'm not mistaken, is one of the sole people responsible for getting the video dead at release. Uh, he was like championing it for a long time before oh, yeah. then. That's and cool. he, I think he's the guy that does the commentary on mm. Video Dead. That name just sounds familiar. I could be wrong. Yeah. Uh, it also has a commentary with director Dan O'Bannon. Of course, Dan O'Bannon is dead, so that's an old commentary. Uh, Beverly Randolph and Linnea Quigley's in that commentary as well. You got trailers, you got your behind the scenes stuff, your other little featurettes. And then the second disc has the new, uh, a new effects sort of, uh, documentary or not documentary, but featurette also has horrors hollowed grounds, which is awesome. Come on. Mm-hmm. Come That's on. That's pretty cool. Uh, it also <clears throat> has the return of living dead work print. Uh, which includes 20 minutes of additional footage. Yeah, uh, that that's actually that's the one feature that I'm like, yeah, in the hollowed and the hollow hollow ground. Yeah, <laughs> but those two right there, that that's yeah, that's pretty cool. Those are good yeah. features. Um, more brains of Return of Living Dead documentary or the definitive Return of Living Dead documentary, uh, which obviously was on that UK Stillbook edition, which was one of our questions coming in. I remember you was like, well, how are they going to top that edition? Which mm-hmm. I believe they did. They topped it. Uh, all these by, features are on there. Yeah. Like, all, so it has all of the features that are on the still book, but it has those new features as well and the Horus yeah. Hollow Grounds and stuff. I'm going to have to do like a full – I don't – is there different features on the second site that aren't on this one? I'm not actually 100% sure. I didn't do a side-by-side, but I know all the I ones that are, that are listed on there I that are definitely on that one. Um, yeah. Does it – I mean, obviously, the the more brains documentary on this version or Screen Factories is going to be a high def release, right? It does. It, it it says on the standard def things. It says standard def next to it, and it does not say standard def next to the more brains. So I assume that that means that it's not, okay, not standard yeah. def. Yeah, I thought that was a really nice touch by Second Sight to have that documentary in high def. It looks great. Yes, absolutely. So. Which is. It, it, which would be great for me because uh, I don't own the edition you're talking about and I uh, own the regular DVD, which was the only way to get it uh, more brain. So it will mm-hmm. be cool to own it in Blu-ray now. But yeah, so it looks like the two new the, – the newest things is the new audio commentary and then the new 
the FX of the Living Dead, which is 30 minutes long. Mm-hmm. Also, the Horrors Hall at Grounds, obviously. And the word print. Oh, is that not on the... Uh... I'm going to have to take a look. I honestly can't... I, I want to say it isn't, but I'm not 100% sure. Like, as soon as I heard that, I was like, is it on there or not? Yeah, and it's not I, actually... I don't know if it's the actual work print edition. Or if it's just work print footage. Yeah, because that's actually a big deal. I would like to know that, yeah. actually. Because I've always heard about it. I've always heard about it. Oh, yeah, it. yeah. I've seen it online before. I've never watched it, but I've seen... seen uh, the full thing. I wish I had a thought of that before the show. I would have grabbed and did like a comparison, but I, I've been meaning to. I just keep forgetting to actually do it. So I don't know. Yeah, but I'm really excited for the Horrors Hall at Grounds because that is actually I'm really curious about the locations of Return of the Living Dead. Like yeah. very curious because yeah. that's one of the things that I often cite is what's really cool about that movie is the the cemetery and the like morgue and like those pl- the locations is actually really really cool it's very it's very good uh mm-hmm. so let's talk a little bit about the uh the uh the lux offer so mm-hmm. uh basically all you're getting is a po- an extra poster and an extra slip cover which i don't know about you but the for ten dollars more right yeah. yeah, so the the regular pre-order I believe is $25 and the deluxe pre-order is $35 with free shipping. Yeah. Uh so you get for you it's weeks. free. For me <laughs> it's free. For the US people it's free. Uh which surprised me because before they've done it and it was free for Canada too. So that's kind of Yeah, it was it's thir- it's $13. So if you're living in Canada Canada and you're listening to this it's $13. But it doesn't even matter cuz it's sold out. <laughs> Yes. So. Uh, so basically, you get it three weeks early, you get an extra poster, and you get an extra slipcover. That's the selling point there for $10 more. Which, honestly, I think that that is a fair deal for the. I mean, you're, you're paying $10 for a poster, essentially. Yeah. That, that's really what I think the value is. And it's like, hey, there's a bonus slipcover too with different art. Um, but one of the things that's going to annoy me about the slipcover is I will probably find a second – I will buy a second edition of Return of the Living Dead at some point when it's like 10 bucks, uh, and I will put that slipcover on it. So This is going to be my fourth Return of the Living Dead Blu-ray in my collection. Jesus. No lies. <laughs> well, this, no. Is a, this is a perfect upgrade for me because I don't even own a standard edition of Return of the Living Dead. My edition – is a three pack with 28 days later and 28 weeks later. So that is so insane to me, dude. For me, it's a it's a big, like big upgrade. <laughs> I got a couple different DVD versions. I got the one with the lenticular cover and that the older one, you know, with like the the other like the original artwork. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I love Return of the Living Dead. So I'm not yeah. not really complaining. I mean, I I kind of contemplated on ordering that. Uh, but then I was like, you know what? Nah, the price was like insanely high after shipping and conversion and stuff. But I was like, you no, know like, what? I, I just, I thought about it and I was like, I don't, me personally, I didn't really need the posters and I wasn't trying to be selfish because I really can't stand having posters in my house that I'm not using like on the walls. I like to get posters and frame them and put them up. I'm one of those type of people. I just, it, it really, it just, it grits on me, man. If I have a poster rolled up, like when Kyle got me that tales from the hood one and I didn't have a frame for it. Cause I couldn't find one for like a long time. It was eating me up, man. I was dying. <laughs> it was pissing Dude, me off. It, so I said, fuck it. Someone it, else can have it. And it sold out that day. It drives me insane because I have probably like 10 
Scream Factory posters that I don't have hanging. Like I have like honestly, shocker... dude, I would lose sleep over it. I would lose sleep over <laughs> it. I'd be like, man, where am I going to get those frames? And where am I? Where am I going to put these in the house? <laughs> you know, I just I'm weird with posters, man. I always have been. Ever since I was a young kid, I've always loved posters on my walls and do my room. Like when I was a kid, I I literally used to have my whole room was one collage. I used to read this magazine called The Source, which was the hip hop magazine back in the day. And after I was done reading it, I would literally cut out everything I wanted out of it. And I would make my whole room was just one fucking hip hop collage. It was ridiculous. Yeah, and yeah, that's uh, cool. So I, I just love. Yeah. And, and I do too. Art. My only thing is like, I got to get them framed. Like I have to buy more frames and I don't know how many more I can hold. I'm saying like one, two, three, four, five, six, maybe seven, eight, nine, maybe more posters. If I double them up, like I could maybe do a little bit more, but. One thing that I do have is a More Brains poster. It's a smaller one. It's like 11 by 17. Yeah. And it's signed by like Scuzz and uh, Tina, uh, Beverly Randolph, and another – I don't know who the other signature is. I can't where, read it. Where did you get that from? Um, when More Brains came out, if you ordered directly from more the More Brains website when oh, it was being yeah. made, they yeah. – they, it was like $25 and you got the DVD and a signed poster. That's so right. I'm looking at it like this. I have my two Return of Living Dead posters from Scream Factory because I did pre-order it. And then I put the, the Littler poster like in between it or like a, or like right below both of them or something. I think it would be like – it would look pretty cool. So um, I'm, I already got it planned out. But I want to ask you this, Moods. Let's say that there was a, like a third disc or something that had um, – I don't know, some other special feature on it, like a, let's say like a half hour of something. Would that have been the selling point? Would that have made you pull the trigger on that? Well, it's interesting that you ask me that question because <laughs> so I was looking at it when they, you know, when they announced uh, these features and stuff. And I said, okay, it's two disc, blah, blah, blah. Um, cool. And I should have did the comparison right then. I don't know what I was thinking, but I even thought to myself, it's really interesting. You asked me this question. I said, now, if there was a third disc in this set and it was the soundtrack, I instantly would have bought it. Yeah. I wouldn't even have hesitated because I love when releases come with soundtracks. I think it's one thing that Grindhouse does so well. You know, it's I mean, utilized too for sure. It really is, man. Like Grindhouse, you know, puts out these amazing editions, but they always throw in the bonus soundtrack with artwork and everything, and it's awesome. And it's such a great selling point because for me, I actually listen to those soundtracks. You know, I love them, and that would it, it, for me. That's just whew, that's and especially you know, that's, a film like Return of the Living Dead, which is right, known part of the music. soundtrack. Yes, exactly. I would have snatched it up in a second, but I heard that you know, there's just no way that thing is getting. They probably could never get the rights to that shit. Yeah, um, I, I guess so. It hasn't even been re-released. Like the soundtrack, I think vinyl. I don't know if there ever was CDs of the soundtrack. I'm not even 100 percent sure. I know it's on vinyl for sure, but. Uh, probably rights issues with it so well i bet if i bet they're kind of looking at themselves now with it selling out in what a little over a day or a little under a day i swear it wasn't even 24 hours since they posted it okay so they sold a thousand copies at 20 bucks a pop or 35 bucks a pop what's the math yep. on that it's, um that is like thirty-five thousand. okay let's say minus like five thousand for shipping or something they made thirty thousand dollars <laughs> In in twenty four hours, let's say if they would have spent, let's say, 
twenty thousand dollars to get the the rights to the, I, I'm just making up numbers here obviously but let, let's say they spent twenty thousand dollars to to snag those rights and then let's say they bumped it up to about they added the third disc of the soundtrack and they bumped the 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 selling point up to twenty five hundred or three thousand copies you th- you think they would I I think that they they probably could have pulled that off because they even said that yeah. they were a little surprised how fast those sold. Mm-hmm. A um, lot of people, a lot of fans of Return of Living Dead. I was surprised that it sold out that fast, honestly. Because um, I was a little surprised when I saw, you know, it blacked out and said sold out. I was like, well, are you kidding me? Really? But then I was like, you know, you know, it is one of those films. But you even know, Nightbreed, I, remember, what was that, 10,000 copies? Yeah, I think it was also the, the oh, you talking, yeah, that edition was a little pricey, though. Yeah, that's true. This was fairly priced. Yeah, and I think essentially what it comes down to is the price. You know, obviously, if uh, if if you was you know, in the U.S., you would have pulled the trigger. Oh, I mean, probably without hesitation. Yeah, and then it still would have bugged the shit out of me <laughs> with the posters. Yeah, yeah, but um, Woods, look, you just got to frame them and then, then rotate I'm, them seasonally. I guess, but that's you know, what and, I plan on. And then I would have to go out of my way because I'm so OCD, and I can already see eBay right now, like in front of me. I can literally see these fucking slip covers, these second slip covers on eBay right now, selling for like thirty dollars. You know, people are gonna well, buy these things up. But I, I would assume that my pre-order, because after okay, two okay. months of release, is already worth worth more than I paid for it. Oh yeah. Well, just look at it this way: out of the thousand people that pre-ordered this, how many people are gonna hold on to that slip cover? Because you know, there's already a few other thousand people that wouldn't mind having that slip cover so why not just put it on ebay resell it um probably make your money back for the whole release on just from selling the slip cover even poster wise i mean you're gonna see these things all over the place because it's an extra slip it, it's not like it comes attached to an you know uh an amory case you know it's a slip yeah. cover yeah, yeah. Right? so i was kind of joking but i said to myself i was like what am i gonna do with the slip cover just go out and buy a you know a standard blu-ray case and just put this fucker on and just uh yeah you know display well, it in my room i, I told <laughs> you what i'm do doing it. i'm gonna buy a second copy of returning the living dead when i could get it for about two ten bucks and uh i'll i'll put the other slip cover on it and i'll have both releases t- kind of in my collection yeah yeah it's not a bad idea yeah. it's not a bad idea so. But uh, you know, even that one release that came out, the uh, the four pack, the original four pack, that instead of the what was it? What's the matter with Helen? Instead of that film, it had uh, Lizard in a Woman's Skin. Remember yeah. that release? Yep. Yeah. And it got pulled because they didn't have rights to Woman Woman in a Lizard Skin. Some copies still made it out into the wild, and I've seen them sell for as high as like $65. I just seen somebody post that. Someone picked one up in our group yep. page there, and I was like, oh, and I've seen a few people actually pick them up before, and that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I always find that interesting, too, because the Screen Factory canceled that uh, version of the four pack because they couldn't get the rights to it, and then Mondo ended up putting out that amazing Blu ray of the film uncut, <laughs> you know, just like recently. So that's really cool. Yeah, so it's so. out there. It's out there. Definitely way better than the Streak Show edition. Don't get that. It's it's all it's cut. <laughs> so yeah, so yeah. that that is the uh, Return of Living Dead. I pre-ordered mine. I'm pretty pretty excited for it. I mean, I'm I'm mostly just super pumped to see it in HD finally because I've never seen it in HD. And also, you know, I love Horror's Holograms. Like that's my favorite special feature besides documentaries. Yeah. It's always fun to watch. It, it is actually cool. I remember when I first heard about, you know, the feature and stuff and I was, I was like, never like, you know, 
stoked to watch it, you know, and then I, I started watching his, you know, his episodes and I was like, this is really cool. It's actually really neat to see locations. And you're like, yeah, I recognize that. That's cool. And he does a good job of hosting it too. Like Sean Clark's the man. Yeah, he's cool, man. He's a good guy. Yeah, yeah for sure. Uh, so let's move on with the news here. We have Predator or The Predator. This is something that got announced a while back, but we've been kind of updating on it. It has a March 2nd, 2018 release date, but apparently the actor slash hip-hop artist, if you want to call it that, Curtis 50 Cent Jackson <laughs> is supposedly starring in this film. Yeah. You big fan is... of 50 Cent modes? No, no, not not at all. Um, to be honest, man. Come on, get you... Richard Die trying. Uh, I'm, I'm not. I'm not even one of those guys. That, pop none. Come on. I'm not. I'm not even gonna say that. You know. Oh yeah. You know. No. Uh, I'm hate just for the sake of being fifty cent. I just. I'm not a big fan of his style. I'm like, not a big fan of his, of, style of his delivery and stuff. But I'm not gonna lie that I did listen to that album when it came out. It was pretty hot, and everybody was talking about it. And I was pretty young. But yeah. You know. Honestly, I man, I, he. I, I don't like his style at all. A lot of the production on that record's good. I mean, you got you know obviously Dre did some stuff yeah. on there, and Eminem, and among producers, the beats are good, man. I've just never been a really big fan of his uh, of his style, like his flow. But I've always found Fifty Cent to actually be not that bad of an actor. I know that might sound really strange, but you know the movie Get Rich or Die Trying. Yeah, um, he's actually not that bad in that. Like he's no, nah, he's good. I just find that he's kind of like. He's kind of almost monotoned in a way, and like delivery. He's shot kind of robotic. <laughs> I mean, that's what it is. And he's kind of robotic a little bit, but he he pulls it off. He has this the sensibility on screen that actually does kind of work. It's odd. It's odd. I find him kind of a better. Well, he he definitely has he charisma. Like you you look at him and you're like, yeah. you're like, okay, this guy commands your attention. Yeah, you know, oddly enough, like I, th- this might sound a little little odd, but. He has a pretty decent smile, and he maybe that's part of his charisma on screen for somebody that got shot in the face. <laughs> you know, <laughs> he did though. He got shot in the fucking face. I know. He actually, you know, he's got a pretty decent smile for that. But yeah, I don't know. But that, that's interesting. I actually had no idea that he was starring in this film. Yeah, and apparently that uh, the director and writer, which is um, Fred Decker's the writer. I'm not. I forget who the director is but fred oh that's right yeah yeah apparently they are going to meet with schwarzenegger uh who obviously starred in the original predator to see if he wants to come back too which would be pr- pretty cool honestly so oh he's so good it was so good you know they were just waiting for schwarzenegger to be done his um you know his political reign in california so they could do this they're like we're gonna wait till he's acting again and then we're gonna give him a call yeah, <laughs> yeah know, i mean he exactly. came back for uh, Terminator. So yeah. I, I don't see why he wouldn't come back for. Pre- Isn't there a scene in that film where new Terminator is fighting like old Termina- Terminator? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> like I, I swear there is, man. Honestly, I think I heard a lot of people it didn't like, like it. I thought it was pretty good. It's better than the other ones, uh, not one and two, but the other ones that came after one and two. I, I honestly, part three is kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. I know it's not a great film, but I actually don't mind that movie. Uh, four is just terrible. I, I absolutely hate it. I. Oh, I saw it in the theater and I was like, this is so bad. <laughs> it was so bad. Yeah. So, that end of that movie. Oh, man. Yeah. So uh, last week, a few interviews came out uh, with 50 doing like serious XM and stuff where he said that he was uh, got some projects coming up, potentially even the new Predator. He says, like, I think I'm going to do Predator or something like that. So um, he kind of broke his own news there. Uh, hopefully that doesn't piss anybody off because... <laughs> 
<laughs> no doubt, right? Um, but after... don't say anything. Don't say anything, Curtis. <laughs> yeah, you know, and he's on fucking what was he on Shady Forty Five or something? Yeah, probably something. Probably like yeah. That. yeah. But uh, so then we have uh, Warner Brothers. I guess like put the hold on Adam Wingard's Death Note. So now Netflix is getting behind the film, and hmm. it's going to be a Netflix film now. So. Really? Yeah, it follows a student who discovers a mysterious notebook that kills whoever's name is written in it. When the student meets the notebook's previous owner, a demon bent on ridding the world of anyone it deems evil or useless, he ends up tracked in an Interpol officer investigating the unexplained deaths of several criminals. So, um, so is this is this the movie based off the uh, the anime series Death Note? I guess so. I didn't know there was one. Yeah. I've never seen it before myself. I mean, I'm not saying that I hate anime or anything. I just, I really don't know anything about it. I'm just not one of those guys who's going to go and say, I know everything about it. Um, no, but it's, that kind of sounds familiar. And I just recognize the name Death Note. I'm yeah. wondering if this is like an American version of that story, you know, based on the series. Yeah, Adam Woodgard's definitely got chops, so I'm always looking forward to anything that he does. So what's the reasoning? Why did what happened? I don't know. It doesn't say the, the because story he's been does on, not allude to why. It's interesting because he's on he's been on a pretty decent roll, you know, with uh, You're Next and uh um of course uh what did he do? The guest. He just did the guest. Mm-hmm. Right. So I mean those are some well known heavy hitters. I mean he did and his he ABC's did, uh, ABC's of Death, he did uh VHS one and two. Mm-hmm. Both segments um, were pretty good, I think. Homesick, I thought was a really cool film. It's funny because we just had this conversation on the, on the group page the other day, uh, and uh, a horrible, a horrible way to die. I really enjoyed that film. The dude makes good films, man. Yeah, he does, and he he kind of keeps a lot of the same actors in his films and stuff like that. So yeah, cool. so uh, yeah, that's happening. Cool. After that, we have uh, Gene Simmons is making a horror movie with Wesley Snipes. Uh, <laughs> Man, oh, when I when I saw this post, I I was just like, Gene, he never stops trying to make. Like, can the guy have any more money? Yeah, yeah. Do you need any more money? Like, seriously, the guy probably he could he could die right now and still make like you know twenty million a year just on royalties and residual. <laughs> like, how good? Yeah. Really, Wesley Snipes. Honestly, man, I, I used to be a big fan of Wesley Snipes. So. Wesley's cool, man. I, I know. Like Wes. But I just don't like – I'm not a big fan of like when people get involved. Like is Gene Simmons – like is he producing this film? I believe he is with uh, WWE and they're – one of the wrestlers, Seth Rollins, is going to star as well. It's called Temple. It's a thriller. Okay, so I wasn't sure if it was like WWE totally producing the film or if Gene was acting in the film because I know Gene's done acting in his in his life. You know, he's been in a few films or if he was help producing or if he's producing and acting. So does it have anything along those lines? Nope. No, it doesn't. I think <laughs> okay. he's just producing. I always remember that film that he did back in the early 80s. It was called I believe it's called Runaway and it was with uh, I want to say Tom Selleck. Gene Simmons plays the uh, the villain in it. Man, that movie's awesome. That's some awesome shit right there. Gene played a great villain in that one. I mean, it's not like a great, great film. It's just awesome, if you know what I mean. <laughs> but uh, no, Gene can pull off those. He can pull off those characters. But cool. I don't know. I would rather. I would. I don't know, man. If he's just like producing a film, what is this going to be like? The slash horror film? Yeah, right. They you actually mentioned that in the article. No way. 
Yeah, because the, one of the stars in this one also starred in that. No way. That's kind of funny. I had no idea, but I don't know, man. I, well, anyways, getting back to the original point I was trying to make, you know, some of these guys that aren't like huge horror fans that start like producing these films and stuff, generally they turn out to be terrible because, you know, Gene is such a, he's like a creative control freak, you know? Yeah. It's the reason why Kiss has gone through so many band members. Of the, I don't know how him and Paul have just managed to stick together. But, you know, he's like that control freak. So I can see him putting – well, he's like, well, I put money into this film, so I'm going to do it my way. And then the movie's going to turn out like f- fucking terrible shit, you know? Yeah. Anytime I think of Kiss, I think Detroit Rock City, which is my shit. Which is good. That's good. Yeah, Detroit Rock City is awesome. I love that movie, Fucking man. so fun. I love Detroit Rock City. I'm going to watch it right now. Uh, <laughs> but So after that, Moods, we have The Walking Dead, the complete sixth season, will hit DVD August 23rd. I'm not sure if they're doing like a super they, – they, I'm not seeing a like you know super edition like they normally do right now. So I don't know if it hasn't been announced yet or what or they're not doing one. Oh, for Walking Dead Season 6? Yeah. I know. I was wondering about that, too. You know, a little part of me says, I hope that they don't. So you don't have to buy it? So I don't have to fucking buy it because, honest to God, I'm running out of room, man. Like, I just redid this whole room, and I'm like, where the hell do I put all these Walking Dead bus fucking things that are taking up so much damn room, man? You know, I've actually... But I, I think the reason is, to be honest... I I remember when they put out the second season one, which was the uh, the zombie head. Yeah, and that one sold like hotcakes, man. And then I think season three sold really well. Um, and then the last season, season five, I see those things in stores still everywhere. So this I don't think it's lame. sold. Though. Well, <laughs> it's also because it went up 100. No, it's actually really good detail, dude. It looks yeah. fucking awesome, man. And it's I, really I don't small. like those things, dude. Those things On- are lame. No, I, d- I don't think so. I think they're really cool pieces. Honestly, man, if you've seen it in person, you like you probably have a different different say on it. It's really well crafted. I just don't like them. I don't like toys with my the, like. I don't. They're just. I I don't know, dude. I, there's just something like- about. I've never liked busts. I've never liked. The only one that I ever really liked was the Hellraiser cube. Well, I guess the only two and the Phantasm sphere because it was so mm. fitting. Ah, you gotta bring up that old shit don't you i still i still mad about not buying that shit on ebay (laughs) that time i think i told that story last week i don't like those things yeah i never have i don't think i I will i think i think they're just fantastic man i'm a really big fan i'm not like a huge toy collector i have my you know a little bit of share of them and stuff but i don't know i like them but at the end of the day they just take up a shitload of room they really do they really do and it's crazy so you know, if they don't have a six-season one, I'll be like, eh, that's okay. That's okay. I mean, I mean, to be honest, I keep buying the series because I want those things. I, I, I do like them, but I've said in the past, man, The Walking Dead is not one of my favorite shows. It's it's a mediocre series, in my opinion. Leave the hate comments down below. Um, that show... That, that just is, blows it's, it, I can't even take... It, I, I, don't, I can't believe that. It's just so hard for me to believe that it's mediocre. I've never yeah. seen past season one and a half but i thought it was such good filmmaking oh in that first season like i can't see how it would take a turn well it doesn't the problem is is that it just keeps repeating itself it's the same shit every season you got the same characters saying the same lines and it's just you have a lot of filler episodes sometimes three in a row and it's so boring it (laughs) is so boring at times and then and then it picks up at the end of the season and it's great 
they have really slow downbeat episodes. Yeah, but don't you think that that's like part of the strategy though? Like, because could you have those big moments at the end if you didn't spend that much time with the characters? You don't have to spend three episodes. I mean, sometimes the characters aren't even in the shows, right? Like that's they spend so much time with just like one area and things, and it gets boring. It, it gets a little tedious to watch. I'm not gonna lie. Like, I mean, me and the wife we struggled through season four. I think it was season four was. Um, the second half of that season was awful, really, really bad. Season five picked up. It was pretty good. I heard season six is pretty well done. So who knows? We'll have to see. I mean, I like I'm other horror mean, shows out man. there a lot more. I just like there's other ones I like a lot more. I just have a lot. Yeah, like Scream. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Ugh. Looking yeah. forward to season two, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, I hear they're going like a it wasn't the worst thing I've ever seen. It just wasn't great. Yeah, I mean, honestly, I'm not even watching horror TV right now. The only shows that I'm watching currently are Survivor, which is fucking amazing, by the way. I don't care what anybody says. <laughs> I, would, I, I would have no idea. Um, I'm a huge fucking Survivor nerd, by the way. If you listeners don't know that, I've seen every season, every episode, multiple times. Uh, and Orange is I'm the not New judging. Black. I just finished Orange is the New Black on Netflix. Um, lesbians in prison, man. It's pretty awesome. It's, <laughs> it's wife... a really funny. It's a really well done funny show. And you know what? The whole time I was watching it, I was like, I was like, yeah, this has like such a familiar feel. And then I realized I never noticed it before. But like, it's from the creator of Weeds, which makes uh, so much yeah. sense because I liked Weeds a lot too. And it's fucking, it's just like Weeds. It's similar. The humor is very similar. The characters are even very similarly done. Yeah, my wife raves about that show all the time. She likes it. Yeah, for some reason, girls really like it. Like, I work with this girl who who seems to like it. Who well, not see. She she's actually the one that got me to watch it. Well, she actually told me that it was from the creators of Weeds, and we watched the whole Weeds series together, and she loved that show. Yeah, so Weeds. It, it Weeds makes sense. Started that she off so good, like the first two seasons, and then it kind of got lame, like as it went. But I thought it wrapped up all right. Yeah, yeah. The last couple seasons were pretty, just all over the fucking place. They never know what they they didn't know what to do with that show. <laughs> you know yeah, what I'm that's the problem with a lot of shows. I think Breaking Bad is the only show where I felt like they didn't fuck themselves with, yeah, write themselves into a corner. But seriously, man, I will say this time and time again. I, I don't really watch horror TV, which is just crazy. I should because <clears throat> I hear it's like kicking major ass right now. Uh, so many people talk about horror TV in my regular life. Like I have my, my bosses are talking <clears throat> about Bates all the time, and like, uh, <laughs> like Joe, my maintenance guy is like talking about the dead he calls it the dead <laughs> all the time and like i'm just like so out of the loop and it's funny because i'm like the horror guy uh and you know but i watch non-horror tv a lot and i am always every time i walk away from a show or it ends or i finish a season i'm always so blown away at how far and how amazing tv has gotten over the you know uh, present day like it it, it just it has to be how what how fucking well crafted some of these shows are that you like you seriously can't stop watching them it, it really has to be though because there's so many shows out there that someone's always going to be better than you so you better write some pretty good shit yeah well binge watching has become a pop culture like phenomenon well that's you know media and netflix and stuff they'll release like whole series at a time and you can just watch them all once it's the best that is honestly good that's why i awesome. like um Orange is the New Black, which I believe next month is the next season. So it's pretty cool. Pretty you know, it's funny. That. It's funny that you bring up the horror TV because I just said the other night to my wife, I said, you know what? I'm going to I'm, I'm, I'm going to make a point of putting these Bates Motel series and American Horse uh, uh, American Horror Story 
seasons in our motorhomes so I can watch this when I'm out camping. Like at nighttime, I don't go out there to watch TV. But uh, I'm just saying, I, I want to get these things watched so I can participate in these conversations. <laughs> yeah, I really want to, because if you remember, I watched the first season of Bates Motel as it aired and the second season, I believe. Well, who knows? Who knows, man? Maybe if this Tales from the Crypt uh, reincarnation actually pans out and it turns out to be like an anthology-based show, who knows? We don't really know 100% what's going on. Yeah, if, if that it's might, good, that, we might have to do like a weekly recap of an episode at the at the end of our show or something. Yeah, we could. You know, maybe that'll just be the kick in the ass I need to actually start watching these series that I've been neglecting for way too long. I mean, I, the thing is, I'm not going to go out and watch all of them. You know, maybe I'll get to From Dust Till Dawn someday. Maybe I'll get to this one or whatever. But there is a few that I have to watch and it's going to get done. I promise. Yeah. Yeah, I'm me too. Promise me too. Us. I swear. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> pinky uh, swear. <laughs> so, after that, we have this is the last little bit of news here that I picked up. Uh, we have the Doctor Sleep, which is the sequel to The Shining, uh, is yep. supposedly getting its uh, feature film adaptation, and uh, Warner Brothers is going to be producing it. Warner Brothers. Yep. Which didn't they, they release the first Shining? Huh. Yes. Uh, any word on director? Uh, Obviously, Kubrick's not directing it. Well, the screenwriter is Akiva Goldsman, Academy Award-winning screenwriter. Yep. Hmm. Well, they better get someone decent. Oh, I can just, I can already see the reviews on this one. Well, it's no The Shining. It's no Kubrick. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Goldsman is also the writer of the upcoming adaptation of The Dark Tower. Oh, cool. Cool. Yep, so that, that, that's sort of the only news we have right now, while King will serve as an executive producer. Executive producer, wow. Interesting. So yeah, uh, that is the news. <clears throat> All right. Moving along into the trusty mood swings with the DVD and Blu-ray releases for April 12th, 2016. And we got a pretty good week this week, actually. Not too shabby. Um, April's not bad. Next week is just insane. There's so many releases. Well, I shouldn't I should get everyone's hopes up, but there is a fair amount of really good ones next week, but this week's pretty good, too. So let's get right into this. First up, we got from Arrow, we got Bride of Reanimator, Ridiculous Deluxe Edition. Believe it's limited also. Um, it looks good, man. Looks really good. I love Bride of Reanimator, and I kind of... I want to do the trilogy one day. Yeah, man. I, I honestly, yeah, fun films. But did Stuart Gordon do all three or no? No. Yeah. Did he? Uh, no, I think he directed part one and two. And who did the third one? Did Yuzna do one? Maybe. I, I'm totally blanking on it right now. I'm totally blanking. Um, but yeah, Brighter Reanimator, man. Fun, fun sequel. Um, but yeah, just getting a ridiculous edition from Arrow. So you know, I obviously have a pre-order. Uh, they think they already announced that they are releasing like a standard edition of this too. So if you miss out on this one, you can get the the standard edition, which is not that big of a deal. Um, but uh, yeah, really cool stuff. I kind of went back and forth on this one. I wasn't originally going to pre-order this, and then I decided to pre-order it. I was like, screw it, I'm going to. I did. So it's coming. Uh, Next up from, yeah, from Screen Factory, we got uh, John Carpenter's, Jonathan Carpenter's remake of Village of the Damned. Yeah, I've 
I've been pretty vocal about this release. Um, or not, I mean, not the release, about the film in general. It's one of my least favorite John Carpenter films, to be honest. I think it's a really not great remake. And uh, I know that you said that you like the the commissioned artwork for this collector's edition. I really don't like it. I didn't it like it like it. I just said it wasn't that bad. Yeah, I, I really don't care for the commissioned artwork on this either. So this release to me is just kind of like it's a total meh. I'm not really excited about this one at all. I know some people are. I've heard some people express like, yeah, I love Village of the Damned. And I'm like, have you seen the original? <laughs> but uh, no, Village of the Damned from Screen Factory. Um, now, this release right here is pretty interesting from Cult Epics. Um, the release is called Sex Murder Art, the Films of Jorg Bukharet, or however you want to say his name. I'm sure I butchered Jorg that. Jorg Bukharet. Bukharet. Uh, of course, this one has Necromantic, Der Todes King, Necromantic 2, and the newly released, I think comes out next week, uh, Scram. So, very, very cool collector's box set. I don't know if this is limited at all, but the cool thing about this is I believe it has all the special features from all the previous um, individual releases, but it also comes with exclusive CD soundtracks for Necromantic, Detortus uh, King, and Necromantic, and Shram. God damn it. I didn't know I, it had that. <laughs> no, so every disc is like the normal Blu-ray discs, and then it has two CDs also in it. I'm like, fuck. <laughs> I was like, damn, that's so cool. You, you know, man, I know you guys were not that high on the Necromantic films and Dutoted's King, but I honestly think of them fondly. Like, they, they stick in my memory. Like, I, I think they always come up in my thoughts when I'm thinking of different things. I don't know. They stuck with me, dude. Like, they, they might not be the best movies in the world, but I, I like all three of them, uh, including Dutoted's King, which I know you guys were kind of, I actually gave that a positive review. Mm-hmm. Um, no, everybody I mean, always references that we hated it, and I'm like, I, I, I don't think any of us actually hated it, and no, I also did. actually liked it. <laughs> I think no, we said a lot of positive things. I don't hate any of those movies, to be honest. I just, you know, I mean, some of our reviews were our ratings were a little higher than others. I prefer Necromantic Two over the original. You know, I mean, it is what it is. Uh, but if you're wondering what the set costs. On, on Amazon, the pre-order price right now is $99.95. That is insane. Okay. So, that is fucking insane. Like, I was thinking like 50 Yeah. So I'm wondering if this is going to be a thick box set so it's not just the discs in there. I, I'm not 100% sure how they're doing this. Like I said, it, it comes be. with the four films and then the two soundtracks. So, I mean, what do the Cult Epics releases sell for down in the U.S.? Because here, they're like $34, $35 a piece. So like if you if you get... Okay, so twenty, so eighty, so yeah. I mean, I guess they're they're just kind of averaging it out, I guess. But, um, yeah, hundred bucks for that if you're interested in the two soundtracks. If you have all the other individual releases, I won't be picking this up. There's no way I'm going to pick this up just for the soundtracks. So, but I, I'm curious if I'm even going to get a copy of the Scram because uh, I, I already pre-ordered mine at a price way too fucking high because I'm in the land of canadia but which sucks. by the way is we will we will be covering scram when we get it yeah we'll be doing a review of that one too uh next up here from uh mondo macabro is a what i think is a kind of a lost film called medusa um i know our boy derek knows a lot more about this film than i do he said he'd heard about this one before i believe this is the one or maybe i'm thinking of the other film uh, i know he just watched this one recently and he said it was very very strange 
But I'm very uh, curious on this one because Mondo's released a couple uh, Greek films just recently, and uh, this is like another Greek film. So I'm very curious to check this out. Do have this one pre-ordered myself, so I'm looking forward to checking that one out. Um, this double feature I've been so excited for for a long time. It's finally getting released, and from Scream Factory we got Destroyer and Edge of Sanity with, uh, well, Mr. Norman Bates himself, Anthony Perkins, which I love. I love Edge of Sanity. I think it's a fantastic take on, you know, Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde type thing. Great stuff. And Destroyer, oddly enough, I've never seen it. It's an 80s film I've never seen before. Never remember seeing this VHS in my stores, so fucking ultra stoked to check this out. Can't wait to see it, man. Looks pretty cool. Um, Next up from... Who's releasing this one? Uh, we got Lionsgate's releasing this one called Flight 7500. <laughs> Man, another one of these fucking flight films. I don't know. I don't know. I never know what to think about these ones. Eh. Is hey, what it hey is. Moods, uh, just to kind of go back to the sex murder art thing here. It looks like there's two versions of Necromantic on it. Was there two versions on the original? Oh, I actually I actually forgot to say that. Yeah, it was so I was so you know, um, hopped up on talking about the, uh, the soundtrack set. I don't believe that there was two versions. I, th- I think that's another feature on there. So I, I don't know if that's still enough to warrant, you know, double dipping on that or triple or no, 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 definitely not. But for people who don't own any of those films, I mean, I'm looking at the lineup here, dude, there, there's a lot of good stuff on there. I mean, hell corpse fucking art is a documentary and that, yeah, it's that good. was on the, the toads King, but I mean, it's it's pretty cool. There's some short films. There's uh Oh, I think there might actually be more short films on this release than the releases. Yeah, if there's I'm not like mistaken. four, I think, on this release. Yeah, so that that's kind of cool. Uh, live concert of Necromantic Two, uh, exclusive CD soundtrack for Necromantic, Undertow King, exclusive two sound at- CD soundtrack for Necromantic Two and Scram. And I'm a 40-page perfect bind booklet with interviews and exclusive photos. I'm curious on that concert, that necromantic concert. <laughs> what the hell is that, man? <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but for real, though, I mean, this is a well-put-together set, no doubt. But mm-hmm. for somebody who owns three out of the four films, it's definitely not worth the upgrade. Mm-hmm. But I will be picking up Scram for sure. Yeah. All right, so next up here we got uh, The Forest. Um, which I've heard relatively a lot of mixed opinions on it. Um, what have you heard on this one? Mixed opinions. Yeah, it's been very, very back and forth on it. I th- I, th- I thought it looked kind of interesting. Um, I believe it's a PG thirteen horror film, if I'm not Correct. mistaken. So, so I mean, you you kind of know what you're going to get with that. It's going to be a little dumbed down. So, but sometimes they're good. You can't always hate on PG thirteen films. Sometimes they're really good. Um, <laughs> I love the title of this film right here. Uh, this one's being released by Magnolia, and it's called Lady in the Car with Glasses and a Gun. <laughs> it's like it just sounds like an American attempt at like a Giallo name right there. <laughs> This one yeah. cracks me up. Totally cracks me up, man. I love it. Like lady in the car with seven eye glasses and <laughs> deadly scorpions. <laughs> you know, it'd be like that's the Italian version of that one. But I don't know. I'm assuming this is a revenge film of some sort. I would assume so. Um, then we got uh, man. This one when this one got announced, oh, really, really looking forward to this one from Kino. We got Shadows in an Empty Room from 1977, also known as Blazing Magnum. Uh, never seen this one. I know about this film. Is it a uh, revenge film? I don't. 
maybe it is. Maybe it is. I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, I just know the title. Um, I know it has John Saxon in it also, which is always a selling point for I'm me. I'm assuming it's something to do with a blind woman. Could be. Uh, Martin Landau's in this one too, but you know, Kino, they're always releasing good stuff, like quite regularly. Now, this one, I just I burst out laughing when I saw this earlier today. Uh, from Bayview Entertainment, we got a film called Ghost Box, and man, the cover art on this, holy shit! Wow. I, at first, I thought it was Wild Eye. I could have sworn it was going to be a yeah, wild release. Yeah, it looks release. like a wild eye cover. It's totally not. It's totally, obviously, a ghostly. It, it looks like a combination of like a really shitty, independent, low budget, ghostly mixed with like Hellraiser and like mixed with like a comic book and slasher. I don't know. It just looks ridiculous, but it doesn't look that good at all. <laughs> um, and then uh, we got another release here that I've been. Pretty stoked about. I know we we talked about this one a few times on the podcast, um, and it's being released by FilmRise. So this is going to be a burn on demand type release, and it's called German Angst. So very very stoked to check this out. It's an anthology yeah. film, uh, George Bertgreit film, which we should cover honestly. Yeah, we should. I'm just wondering how we can get that. Mm, yeah, you know, see, I don't know, man. I thought that I was going to get a copy of The Bunny, The Killer Thing, but I still haven't got it. Do you know if any of the other guys got theirs? Nobody has got their copies yet. Apparently, I'm actually getting one, too, so we'll see. <laughs> I don't know. I'm really surprised that they haven't got theirs yet because, obviously, they would get theirs before me. So maybe delay with the shipping. I don't know. Yeah, I'm just really hoping. Like, I, like these are expensive. It's going to suck to have to buy these, but I will. Are these, fil- are, are these Burn on Demand's expensive releases? Because I think twenty the, bucks. This one was going for twenty bucks. Yeah. Oh yikes! Gross. That's yeah. crazy for a burn on demand. Like, but really I've expensive. heard I've heard pretty interesting things about German angst. Like I, I heard at least two reviews, I believe. Oh really? Nice. Yeah. Um, of course, that's the anthology with uh, Jorg Bergkreit directing a segment. Uh, Garan. You know what? I'm not even going to attempt it. A couple other other German (laughs) directors with names we cannot pronounce and are not going to (laughs) attempt. Yeah, I believe there's three segments. Yeah, three three German tales of love. And I want to check it out. Sex and death. Yes. I love sex and death. And what was the other one? Uh, Oh, it says sex and death in Berlin. Yeah, I love love too. (laughs) Three German tales of love, sex, and death in Berlin. (laughs) I love that how it gives you the setting of it. That's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And last up for the DVD and Blu-ray releases for this week is going to be the film that we've mentioned four or five times already, and that is called Epic's release of Shram. Now, that's interesting that they're releasing this the same time as the box set. Do you think that's smart? Probably not. Um. Well, it's fair is what it is. It's, it's for fair. people it, who don't want to buy the box set, which is not it's – a, it's a nice gesture. Is it a – good for the top dollar probably not yeah no but like i said i mean i got this one on pre-order so the box said we'll have to go to someone else but i can't wait to see this man i've never seen the movie i've never seen this one i just have never seen it dvds like long out of print and really hard to find and very excited cult epics man releasing some really good stuff they just don't release a lot of stuff they which i'm cool with really cool stuff but. I'm, I'm cool with them putting out you know three or four titles a year that i want that's right that's right now um did you say flight 7500 yes oh um that is a film that has been 
uh, hint or not even hinted at, but it's it's fucking been in ling- limbo for years, I think. Really? Like when yeah. was this thing supposed to come out? Like ten years ago, kind of thing? Like probably like three at least. Oh, I, I would say it's uh, from the director of The Grudge. Oh, cool. You know, I, you never know what to expect with these these flight horror films. I don't know, man. They're very, very hit and miss. Who knows? Maybe it's decent. Maybe it's a ghostly on a plane. I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> just... Has Scout Taylor Compton in it? Oh, yeah. Who I'm looking at IMDb right now, and she now has black hair. Really? Hmm. She looks a lot different. So the question is right now, what is my pick or release of the week? Um, this is interesting because now pregame, we were kind of talking about this and JP had no idea what I was talking about because I was muttering underneath my breath, but I was saying now you could go either way on this. Now, my options were here for this week is either Bride of Reanimator Arrows Edition, which is pretty damn cool, pretty stacked, very, very nice, or the Sex Murder Art, the films of your Burkerite or however you want to pronounce it. Now, it depends on what what your stance is and what your if you have the solo releases already of Necromantic, you're probably not going to go for this box set. You know, is this the one I'm going to recommend for you to get? I don't know. Brightery animator. I, like, it just all depends on how you look at this, right? You see what I'm I, saying? I now? honestly think there's even another one you could throw in there with edge of sanity. Yeah. Because of see. price, like Brightery animator is $40. Mm-hmm. Is that like? Because do you factor that in with the release of the week? I actually no. don't. I actually don't. But now, but then again, I've never really had an option of a box set that was a hundred dollars. But now that kind of that kind of sticks out as a big like. It's kind of a red flag for a lot of collectors and buyers, right? Like, who's just going to? Well, I'm going to spend a hundred dollars on this. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah, Brian Reanimator, forty dollars, pretty pricey. That's way too much. Um. Yeah, and then we got this Screen Factory double feature. It's really tough, man. It's really tough. Um, hmm. But ultimately, I think I'm actually going to go with the Arrow Bride of Reanimator as my pick of the week this week. So it is a little I bit th- price. It is a little bit pricey, but I think that you know just what Arrow's doing. You know their features, their packaging, everything. It's just it's just such a great release. I mean, if you're a collector. I mean, which a lot of people are of Arrow products now because everyone's starting to realize how good they really are. Um, probably going to go for it. Probably going to go for Bride of Reanimator. So, but yeah. I mean, most people are probably going to pick up Destroyer and Edge of Sanity anyways, too. But yeah, I think that was the first week where I would have picked something different. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was actually considering going with Medusa just because it's one of those films that like <laughs> I've been dying to watch too ever since they announced it. Everything, every time Mondo announces something, I'm just like, "Fuck, that's amazing!" I never heard of that shit. So, and that that's what kind of tickles my pickle, man. Is when these companies release shit that I've never heard of, and I'm like, "That's just bonus for me." You know, yeah. I'm not I'm not double dipping. I'm not upgrading. I'm not doing anything. I'm just like, "That's a brand new film to my collection." Gia. All right, so uh, this week, Moods, we, do you know if we have any written questions? I don't believe we have any written questions. Right. Sadly enough, nobody listens to it. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> there was no questions that I know of. Um, no. Do we All have right. any voicemails? 
we have one voicemail, so uh, we will get into that from a not a long-time caller, but a caller who we've had called before and who has called back. So I'm going to go ahead and play that. Hello, 24 shots of boots and horror. You know who I am. I thought I should call in after a certain phone call from a redneck. I was at the question for my true identity. And it is also very important that you know he hasn't actually been the one who's done these voices. But if you must know, we can probably tell you. Did he have a voicemail as Pablo? I, You know what, man? It is not ringing a bell, so I, apparently he did. Maybe, you know, sometimes, guys, when you guys uh, leave the voicemails, we had a situation last week or the week before with Rob where he lost service, which yeah. is entirely possible because I know Lawrence has lost service in the past, so maybe mm-hmm. that's what happened. Um, yeah, so, we've definitely not played a couple just because they were cutting out really bad. So, yeah. And you wouldn't know if you're leaving the voicemail necessarily. So, so uh, Lawrence kind of uh, lifts the veil a little bit and let, lets us know that it was him. But he said he did not do the redneck. So we still have one more mystery out there. Yeah, that's funny. That is super funny. Corn yeah. dog. Maybe it's corn dog. Yeah, it's somebody, man. I don't know. But uh, yeah, you know, um, I think that those things are awesome. Like Lawrence does a really good job with those. I'm, I'm actually. Do you actually know who Lawrence is? Nope. Because, <laughs> like, he calls in all the time, and I feel like we know him. But, like, I never – I don't think I've ever seen him on the Facebook group or, like, I don't know if he's ever left comments or at least I don't know what his name on YouTube would be. I'm pretty sure that there's no one in the group with the name Lawrence or maybe goes by Larry or something. I don't, I don't even think there's a Larry. So – I don't think anybody goes – do people who are named Lawrence go by Larry? Yeah, I have a friend named Lawrence that goes by Larry. Huh. He's my he's my buddy that owns the shop I get all the cool VHS from. <laughs> yeah. I have a neighbor named Larry who goes by Chuck. Chuck and Larry? Like the, the No, he, that was before <laughs> the movie, but he just get everybody calls him Chuck for some reason. I don't know if it's What the fuck? That doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> That's not even that doesn't make any sense. Weird. Um yeah. we had a neighbor named Mary. She's died now but her name was mary yano like two names like first and last and as kids we thought her name was mary ann o like anno <laughs> and like it was just one name mariano <laughs> awesome. 
<laughs> but yeah, so uh, keep them coming, Lawrence. Looking forward to uh, our little green shoot friend from the hood. So we have no questions this week. Nope. <laughs> Not a question out there. Well, we did get a little bit of feedback, which... Wow, that has got to be the first... In a long time that we have had not had a question. I know. I that know. is that's really crazy. So, so I get. I, I mean, it does make sense because no one listened to the Redson Tower episode. <laughs> so, I mean, <laughs> I don't know why. The fuck. Yeah. They yeah. saw the. Toe I mean, tag it's just not like, a title. Like, that... Well, no, they saw the toe tag and like, oh fuck those August Underground films. It's another shit August Underground film. Yeah. Well, and if you I know what you guys to the goddamn uh, toe tag. Redson Tower episode, you're doing yourself a disservice because there's a very funny story that happens in the intro. <laughs> yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, that's good shit. Um, but yeah, I, we did get a little bit of feedback on YouTube and um, it got me and you to chat in a little bit. And somebody said that they wish they like our show or whatever, but they wish that they're all, I think they said they're always behind or something or somebody else said that. I don't know, but uh, they they were wishing that our show was only an hour long, and that's not a new question. We've asked that before. Um, we even put a vote up like a year or two ago, asking you know what yeah, is, the, what, the, what do you guys like the longer the shows, or the shorter shows, and and most people said the longer shows. Yeah, because um, a lot of people do what I mean. The a lot of people seem to do the exact same thing is that they. They download the audio and they put it onto an iPod, iPad, whatever the fuck it is, and they listen to it in their vehicle and shit like that. They've mm-hmm. gotten that from a lot of people. So they're they're listening to it on the go because it's long and they like that about it. You yeah. know, it kind of passes that long period of time. So it makes yeah. sense. My, my – like me as a podcast listener, I prefer shows that are around two hours long. <clears throat> Unless it's a show I really, really like, in which case, you know, three to four is cool. I don't Anything even really – like I don't even notice, man. Like when I'm listening to Killer POV, for fuck's sakes, man, every show it seems like I listen to, I'm like, I wish that shit was longer. And their shows are long. Yeah. Well, that's like what I was saying though. Like that's one that I really like that I, I, their length never bothers me. Yeah. Um, but I, I'm the different type of podcast listener. I listen to – Anywhere from 15 to 20 podcasts a week. No joke. This is why you only watch like three movies. <laughs> Spending all your fucking time listening to other podcasts. I listen to podcasts while I play video games and while I work. That's probably a good time to do it. Yeah, working, playing video games. Why not, right? Yeah. So the only thing that I don't like about longer shows when I'm at work is that I, I, I get I, – I like hearing multi- – like, okay, here's my thing. Like, I listen to MMA podcasts and horror podcasts. I listen to about four or five MMA podcasts, and those are typically between an hour and two hours. And I like to go back and forth, MMA, horror, MMA, horror. And one of the things that always bugs me is when a horror one is like overly long and I'm not getting back. To, I, I, I like to break up the, the podcast. Like I don't like listening to the same thing for that long. I want to hear some different topics to keep my day moving fast. And so some of the longer horror pa- podcasts I kind of avoid just because I like to cover a lot of ground in my day. 
uh, unless, like I said, it's 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 one of my favorites, or if it's like a big show or something like that. However, I'm very unique because I listen to like 15 to 20 podcasts a week, um, <laughs> and when I play games, I well, prefer that's probably shorter one, ones too because I don't play games that long. It's probably one of the reasons why you like them shorter because you have to listen to 15 to 20 different fucking shows a week, man. Yeah, if, I probably wouldn't like them four hours long either if I was listening to that many. I mean. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes with film watching, too. I mean, I watch a lot of films, and I generally like my movies to be, like, 80 to, like, 95 minutes, you know? And uh, sometimes I'll pick films based on the time that I want to review, say, on Body Bags. I'll pick a film that's 84 minutes long, purposely. Not always, but I do it sometimes just based on time or whatever, you know? So, I guess it just all depends. Yeah, I mainly like watching shorter films, but... uh, So... The thing is, is first of all, our show will never be an hour long. I can't see any any situation. In our goddamn which that intros would are like an hour long. Yeah, so <laughs> so that would never happen. However, I did consider because you know I've heard people say this before, um, the news segment. So we do the news at the beginning of the show, and it typically lasts an hour to an hour and a half between news and DVD releases. Now that's really cool for. Uh, a weekly format where every week you come to us, you get your news and you hear what's going on in the horror world, but it's not the greatest scenario for retro listening. So we had recently Jill and someone else. Dave is going through our old catalog right now and they're starting, starting on episode one. I think Jill just finished up and you know, the, the you, you got to figure you're listening to an hour to an hour and a half of dated content before you ever get to. I guess it all de- you know. it, it depends on how you look at it, right? Like, I mean, I was telling you a story, you know, earlier tonight about Rue Morgue and um, how I opened up to, you know, I was looking for the, the, the morbid fact of the day and I opened up to an article on Byzantium, uh, the Neil Jordan film. And, you know, I was in the bathroom. I was taking a poo. I'm not going to lie. And uh, so I uh, I started reading it and it was just like great. And I started kind of flipping through the remorgue and I was like, oh, that's cool, man. That's cool. See, I, I have a totally different mentality when it comes to like, you know, dated quote unquote or whatever. I don't see it as, a, as that, man. I just I love looking at I, I just see it as like being like kind of almost like a retro thing. I love going through like old magazines yeah, and, I think and reading articles different, and though, because I like doing that, too. But it, and but I also of, like hearing podcasts is, where they talk about old news sometimes. But the problem isn't that uh, you know I'm I'm doing it here and there. It's literally an hour and a half of every show in our catalog. You know what I mean? It's so not if that you're long. the average, the average. I mean, with our intro and the news and stuff, yeah, it can be about an hour and a bit. But you got to remember the intro is sometimes fifteen yeah, but twenty I'm minutes. Also, so. the DVD releases as well. Right? Yeah, it takes fifteen minutes tops for the DVD releases. So it's not that big of a time constraint on people. Okay. So I let's mean, just even say an hour then I just kind of look at it as like a, like an archive, you know, it's just like, you know, this is kind of like a t- time capsule, you know, episode four. I don't know what episode four was of our show. I could not remember. I'm sure someone could tell me. Um, but if I went back and listened, I like, I'd be like, that's cool. That's what was happening at that yeah, time. But you're like, lo- it- I think the only thing modes is I, I think when you're looking at it, you're looking at it in like a small sample size. Like if I went back and checked it out, yeah, it'd be cool. But you got to realize most of these people that are going back are listening to a couple episodes a week 
to kind of catch up or whatever, which is what I do when I find a new podcast I like. I go back to the archives, start from the beginning, and catch up. I think it's probably a very small percentage of people that find the show, and you know they probably check out the ones that they want to. The, like these are like super fans. Like you know we got like Dave and you know from Exploding Heads podcast horror podcast and Jill. They're like super fans. Like I, you know I bet you they're a small percentage of the fans that are willing to go back to episode one and work their way all the way through until episode seventy six. You know, in you know, excluding this one, I think it's a mm-hmm. small percentage of people that are willing to do it. I think the majority of people that would find our show and see the big list of episodes on iTunes, they would go through and they'd be like, "Okay, I want to watch or I want to listen to Children of the Corn franchise. I want to check out the Silent Night Deadly Night one. Maybe they're just in a franchise. They're going to check out. They're probably all which is mostly si- the case. That usually which, is what happens. And, and and this is what I'm saying. So your 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 argument is applying to like such a small minority of people, but. You know, I mean, and we all know one thing. Everyone's going to skip Spider-Baby. <laughs> 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 yeah. We always like to joke about that. But I'm just saying it's a small thing. I mean, w- these are super fans. Like, to be honest, I haven't gone through, like, all the ranks of, like, Killer POV and, like, other but, podcasts. But that's the stuff. thing, like, though. You're not a big podcast listener, too. You started now. But how long have you actually fucked around with podcasts besides doing them? Not a whole lot. I listen to podcasts here and there. I was never – because – to be honest, I never really had the time to sit there and listen to him. Like, I mean, honestly, with my job, I can't just listen to. I mean, because I have other people that I'm delegating all this. I, I just can't do it. I don't have headphones on and stuff. So yeah. I'm at home. It's just the no, you just record that I'm video in. shows in a closet. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> precisely. Precisely. Yeah, it was like three hour lunch breaks. Um but I, yeah, I guess I guess in those days I could have, but uh, you know what I'm saying. Yeah, but yeah. I, get, I just don't I really have. I mean, because I'm one of those type of people that you know, and I know you're kind of like this too. Like when you start a film, you know, no matter how shitty it is, how fucking bad it is, I always have to finish the film. I always hear about these people are like, man, I turn that shit off after 20 minutes. I'm like, who does that shit? Who turns off a film after 20? I've I've suffered through films that suck for 45 minutes and then turned out to be amazing in the end. Like, awesome. So I always kind of suffer through, and this is why I do it. So if I start something, I want to finish it. So if I'm going to start, like, a podcast that's four hours long, I'm making sure that I have a four-hour gap in my day where I'm going to listen to it, you know? so See, that's, I, that's see, I, I listen to podcasts but, a little bit differently. I, I At the beginning of the week, I download, like, ten. I don't like to th- listen to podcasts in in uh, kind of breaks, you know, like I listen to, like, an that's hour. That's how I there. do it. See, I, I listen don't... because it's my, you know, I'm working, too, so I have to pause a lot, but um, you know, so I'll listen to like 10 different podcasts and sometimes I'll make it like an hour through one and I'll do something else uh, and I'll have to pause it and then I'll go and listen to like a different one and then I'll come back to that other one. Like the, the exploding heads podcast took me a week to get through because it was four hours long. Mm-hmm. Um, and the last one, what the tells from the hood, uh, anthology one that they did. Um, so you know, I listen to a lot and I've been listening to podcasts for over six years. Okay. Like I've, I've listened to thousands of podcasts by now, tens of thousands probably. And I know I've listened to shows that are gone shows that only lasted like 10 episodes shows that have gone on and are still going. I've seen all types of shows. I've seen all these different kinds. I've sat through Dr. Who episodes simply because i like the podcast and i was just like well i gotta listen to all their episodes I guess I'm stuck <laughs> listening to this shit <laughs> you know <laughs> and um you know so i i have seen shows that do cover news and i personally do like especially when it's really old like if it's from like 2006 or something 
like there's some the landscape was so different and you kind of get a sense for it but at the same time like i do get like after hearing like six or seven episodes in a row where there's like an hour of news like sometimes like you know as a like i guess what you'd say a super fan like hearing that it does get like i kind of want to get into the meat and potatoes of the show Mm. and i'm not saying that you know that it's necessarily bad or we need to stop doing it or anything. I'm just talking about it. And the, mm-hmm. the what I wanted to do was just ask everybody else, like, because you said, you know, that they probably hear one episode or like they searched for some, probably the Elsa show. Now, like people are finding the Elsa show. Yeah. Everyone uh, likes the Elsa <laughs> over the spider baby. Just put and, it that way. <laughs> and so they, they hear the Elsa show and they're like, Oh, these guys are pretty cool. Like I'm gonna check out some of that other stuff. And then, you know, they go down a list on iTunes and they're like, okay, let, let's check out the Silent Night Deadly Night one. Let's check out the, um, you know, the fucking what? We have well, how many people have seen that? They, they found our show through the Masters of Horror one. That one did really well. Yeah, or they the find the Masters really of Horror one or whatever, and they they start downloading all these shows and stuff. Um, I don't know. I don't know. It, are are those people kind of turned off by the news? I, I I would be curious to know. And it's a it's a variable of things, man. We've had we've had our fair share of criticism and things. About, I'll never forget the one guy. I can't remember what episode it was, but he was like, yeah, I have to stop listening to the guy. I'm just – I don't even know why he left the comment, but I, I always remember this because it was funny to me that he actually left this comment for us to find – you know, to read. It was just – it fucking blew my mind. It was so funny to me. But he's like, that's it. He goes, I like – I love – moods and jp but i have to stop listening to podcasts because i hate jeremy so much i'll never forget that comment no my favorite one ever was was like <laughs> every <laughs> week i try listening to the podcast and as soon as jeremy opens his mouth i shut it off <laughs> yeah and those that's just shit that i remembered i'm like see this is the thing it's just variables man like well, you know some no, people don't like jeremy i'm sure there's people out there that don't like me and maybe they don't like you no, i mean it's crazy it is what it is but like i mean there's also certain parts of the shows that you know, they probably like better. Maybe they like the what we watch. I mean, we got a lot of positive feedback from our format just going back and forth and reviewing 10 films. I think I, what we watch is fun. people's favorite segment, like the majority of people's favorite segment. If I think it also – it depends on what we're doing. We did we did a fair share of like, you know, modern films and some older ones too. I, it was a good kind of blend mm-hmm. right there. But uh, Well, obviously, you know, there's always going to be like this person likes that and this person likes this and this person prefers this. Look at Zach. I remember him making a post one time. We we had a couple week layover or layoff on the on the show, and he goes, "I have no idea what's fucking coming out this week for DVD and Blu-ray releases because the podcast hasn't been on for a couple weeks." Yeah, you know, and so- I know that there are people that do rely on the podcast for that stuff. So, um, I'm I'm 100 with you. And Zach is one of the per- people that always always mentions the news. Like he doesn't even look at news because you know he just waits to hear about it on the podcast. Or that, whatever. That's like me too because I like to have my. Well, sometimes I can't avoid some of the things that we talk about. Yeah, obviously. But like, I really like to avoid it because you know there was pieces tonight. I was like, oh really? Awesome. You know, like I had no idea. Like, like Fifty Cent starring in the new Predator film. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, see, I liked being shocked by that. So like, I like doing the news. I mean, it's just I guess it was a case yeah. of people obviously listen to it. It is what it is. I guess. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased as well because I have to get the news. So like, you know. Um, well, and that, that's what I was going to bring up too. Yeah. Cause that's, that's what, you know, that's your thing. You do the news and stuff and you know, it's definitely probably the most work for it because it's gathering pieces from sources. Mm-hmm. You know, it can be a little tedious at times, especially on slower weeks or maybe everything's just kind of carried over from the week before mm-hmm. and which we have decided in the past. Cause remember we used to, we used to kind of, um, 
talk about you know relatively the same things from week to week or whatever if they just kind of carried over and then you're like hey fuck it i'm just i'm grabbing like you know the main points the main pieces which i still don't do all the time (laughs) but so even this week i i mean really news went on a decent amount of time and we only you know you only only had four five like eight article or seven articles or something yeah so it's not that's not even that much yeah um so the, the the thing is, Moods, is I would never get rid of the news. That's not what I was proposing here. Um, but I would like to ask the listeners. There, there's a way to, to – Yeah, this whole conversation was leading up to a question. There is a point to this, people. Yeah. We're, not just go, we're not just talking back and forth and forgetting that we're doing a show. Now, one of the things – I swear to fucking God, if you people are listening to this show – and I'm kind of pissed off right now. If you people are listening to this show, you people, the listeners, the people that listen, the hundreds – of people that listen to the show. If I ask a question, can you please give us some feedback? Because I'm so tired of asking things. And then we get like four responses. Like it drives me crazy. Cause like, I know some people were, cause I do this too. Like I'll listen to a show and they'll ask for feedback. And I, I don't even know where I would leave it. Like I don't even listen. I don't, I've literally the shows that I listen to. I've never like commented on. It's kind of weird. So I wonder I how many not- people actually do that with us. I think it's just pe- people in general these days. Like, I had a I had a question today on the Reds. I think it was on the Redson. He's like, "Where do I?" He's like, "Where are the links to download um, <laughs> the last week's that. episode?" And I was like, "Dude, I was like, just press the description Dropbox, and all the links come down." And he's like, he got back to me later. He's like, "Awesome, man! I found the links." And I'm like, "I hope you did, man." You, <laughs> They're there every that. week. They've been there since the dawn of the show. Like, no, if you're listening, <laughs> no, to no, no, obviously. Some people like, just some people honestly are not. They don't know. They they don't use. No, literally, anything, some, you know yeah, what I mean? some people just don't know that's a Dropbox. Yeah, like what they what they're reading there. You know, if it cuts off or whatever, they're like, okay, that's it. But no, there's like a whole list of links in there. So, yeah, but so back to my question here, guys. Like, please give us feedback because this is this is like a big deal right now to me. Like, I want to know. Um, you could it, the, like one of the things that we could do is we could create a show our weekly show without the news and dvd releases and it would be like the intro voicemails uh maybe a little bit more of what we watch than than we normally do and then the featured reviews and the show would probably be like two and a half hours long come on people Uh, we're not asking for money here just write some words (laughs) yeah uh and along with that there could be another podcast in the same feed and it would be like 22 shots news or something like that. And it would just be the news and the releases. So it would be two separate shows um, that we would record it. To, we would just rec- – essentially what we'd be doing is just chopping the show in, in two pieces. And then if you could hear the weekly news, but then the future people who wanted to listen to the show, uh, the, the, the episodes wouldn't have that dated quality. But then – the problem comes, it's like, well, I don't want to download two different shows because I like just having all of it in one thing. I know Moots is very against splitting things up like series and franchises and stuff. He doesn't really like doing that. Um, so I know that some people definitely would not like it, but I just want to know how many people would not like it. Because at the end of the day, whatever you whatever majority wants is what we do. So and and don't don't look at this as like I don't want change because like that's stupid. Just look at it at like what is some what would you like better, you know, without having the like bias like I don't want the show to change type thing where, where it's like you really don't care about what's happening. You just don't like change because people do that too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. So just honestly, what what would you like it? 
the the way that I picture it is similar to how Banana uh, Banana Laser did theirs. They had the regular show, Banana Laser, episode 10, 11, 12. And then they had their show called Banana Bits, which was the news and releases. It's like the same thing, actually. It would be the exact same thing. Um, and, you know, that could actually technically... They should have called it Banana shots. Split. <laughs> like the dessert, Banana Split, because they're literally splitting the show. <laughs> I mean, come on, yeah, come on, that's cool, man. Um, the banana, banana splits, yeah. Uh, so it could it could be like that. I mean, that could be many shots. It could be its own thing. But essentially, we would still be recording the show like we are now with the news and everything. But we just put it in a separate uh, episode, or a se- it would just be titled different, and you'd have to download it individually. Uh, I don't know if we'd make it have its own feed or if it would stay in our feed, but it's just something that I figured I would throw out there and let you guys decide um, because I'm cool with whatever. At the end of the day, I'm still going to have to get the news. I'm still going to, we're still going to record the news segment. It's just, mm-hmm. do you want it to stay part of the episode uh, or would you like it to be its own thing? So feedback, man, write yes. those words, you know, lots of curse words in there too. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. Also. I like reading those. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that, that's a very long-winded question. <laughs> yeah, very long-winded question. What? What? Where are we right now? Are we still in mood swings? Like what the hell? Yeah, that was uh, the voicemails. Still in voicemails. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, <laughs> uh, no, actually, we could technically call that listener feedback right there. Yeah, voicemail slash listener feedback. Listener feedback. Yeah. So again, people. Just leave some responses. Any type of feedback is great. You know, positive, negative, it's all – don't worry. We're not getting yeah, buttered guys, over it. You, if, you if, do if realize you, whenever you, you guys – you have suggestions, except for Zach, you're not allowed <laughs> to comment on this because I already know where it's going with him. I'm just joking. But Whenever we post the episode, like our excitement level to keep doing the show literally comes from how many comments and feedback we get. Like that's where the majority of my excitement comes from. So like – some of you guys, some of you guys just be slacking. Honestly, <laughs> some of you guys just just don't tell us anything, and I want you guys to. Yeah, that's true. It's true. Anyhow, if you don't feel like typing anything, don't type anything. I'm just fucking around. <laughs> yeah, man. There's lots of places to leave it to, man. Just do it up. All right. So let's move along. Do we have a knowledge segment this week? Yeah, I got something briefly that I would like to touch on in knowledge. It's uh, it's not very long. It's just something that was on my mind today. So I don't know if you watch my YouTube videos, but I actually did, and I was gonna, I was actually gonna even say, you know, I'm gonna give you a little bit of an applause right now, <clears throat> you because you you put out like more than one or two in like the last two months doing a good job man. <laughs> you know yeah you, you, my feed looks busy with double shot j videos right now i watched her update <laughs> you know and like you're doing your series your uh your 365 day series yeah you've been quite active on there i have to i have to give you a, a hands thanks for that thank you right there yeah, uh so job. one of, one of the things that i started doing on my youtube j- channel probably uh i don't know a good three months ago or something maybe four is I started doing an intro with like, you know, just, just something simple music, 
uh, where like and titles like, you know, this like week three of my 365 day movie challenge, blah, blah. And I did that because I, I just I kind of wanted an intro, but I, I, I don't know. I, I just was I didn't want to like make video. I didn't want to like cut down videos like you do modes. Like I didn't feel like doing all that. I just wanted one that I could plug in anytime that I made a video. And so I was like, okay, I want music, but I don't want something that's going to get copyright strike. And I don't want to use like some lame ass public domain music. So I will try to find some like independent music and ask them if I could use their music. So I found this band called Harley Poe. And I really, really like them. Like they, they make like some very unique music. I, I put a lot of their songs in like the mini shots that we did last. And I've, I've listened to like a lot. Of, I've bought uh, two of their albums on uh, Amazon. And I, I, w- I reached out to John Whiteford, who is, I guess, the lead singer of Harley Poe. I was like, hey, I really like your music. I was wondering if I could use it in my videos and I will, of course, give you a credit at the end of the video and in the description where people can buy your album. And he agreed. And he said, yeah, dude, definitely. That would be cool. Uh, so I was like, cool. Now I have like a legit like music for my videos that I have permission to use. And that was that was a cool goal that I set to to do, and, and I accomplished it. And I even I know that there's even like a few people who actually asked me like what the song is, and I'm like, it's at the end of the video. <laughs> <laughs> I get that all the time too, man. <laughs> and in the description, but ninety um, percent of questions asked in your in your comment section are answered at the end of your videos. Videos yeah. like mine all the fucking time. <laughs> so. Basically, uh, I have heard a few people say that they've now become like a fan of Harley Poe because of my videos, which I think is amazing and probably good for him. So yeah, that's cool, man. The only fucking issue with this goddamn bullshit is every time I upload a video, I get a copyright strike. Now, that's not the worst thing in the world with the way YouTube is now. They put they they basically monetize your video. And the proceeds, the ad revenue that you get from your video will then just go to the owner of the copyrighted music. It's not like how it used to be where you get a copyright strike and like you get three of them in your channel shut down. Yeah, they're just making money. They want you to do that shit, man. Yeah. So the thing now is, though, I have permission to use it. So I have to dispute the copyright strike. And I say, hey, I have permission to use this. Like, here's, you know, I got this email. And then it takes about one to like 30 days to go through. So every time I upload a video with that music in it, I get a copyright strike. So essentially I have to upload videos, leave them unlisted until a copyright strike goes away and then make them private, (laughs) which is fucking annoying because like all my videos are like really dated and it made me like I had four videos that had copyright strikes on them that were waiting that I was waiting to put on public. So I was just like, well, I'm not making any videos right now because like I have four to go. And then I got behind on my uh, 365 day challenge. Cause that one is, it took forever to get un copyright striked. So it put me behind and now I'm just like, you know what? It's not even worth it. I'm probably just going to ax the intro, which I really fucking like that intro. Mm-hmm, so it pissed mm-hmm. me off. Like, God damn it. There should be a way where it's like, I have permission to use this goddamn song. Can you give me a permanent license for it? 
Yeah, they, they need to get a new system in, in YouTube, man. I mean, if you have written permission, you know, from the artists themselves, they should be able to, like, you know, notify YouTube and be like, hey, Stop he's cool to use. He, he's use, he's cool to use this song. I give him permission. And that, you know, it's just a simple kind of like email, whatever it is. Stop flagging the shit. Done. I know. How fucking hard is that, man? Like, why Why is this so hard to do? I just don't understand. If you have permission, you shouldn't be getting flagged. But it's like an automatic system, though, isn't it? It is, yeah. Because it's so. not actually uh, like Harley Poe or like John Whiteford who's flagging it. Yeah. It's just. I mean, you can flag people's videos for whatever, yeah. but this is this is obviously automatic, though. This yeah, is just and, and one of the things also is the copyright this, the copyright is coming from CD Baby, which I assume is a distributor that probably uh, distributes the Harley Poe music. So it's not actually John Whiteford himself. Yeah, CD Baby is like a is like a website. Yeah, because they well, maybe maybe they produce stuff too. I'm not sure, but I know you can buy stuff on CD Baby. It's interesting. Yeah, so that's actually like where the strike is coming from so okay, it's so, actually so they like have, a third party and that, so they, that makes it even more annoying to like get it yeah. taken care of so i'm probably going to uh axe the intro well that sucks man because i re- but i really liked it so it's just it's frustrating because like i i finally had something that i liked that i was like okay like this intro is fitting like you you heard the intro right mm-hmm. pretty good that's a good song right no, I, I've heard it. I've heard it many times. I, I mean, I watch your videos, right? So I'm like you, but I've watched um, a few years lately. So don't even talk. <laughs> <laughs> Did you watch my update with my missed edit? Nope. Fucking great, man. Your updates Just, are too long to watch, dude. My update was the same length as yours, you dick. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. It was like how oh, long was okay. mine? Like 15 minutes? No, yours was like 25. Mine was 34. Huh? Yeah, Pretty much the that's fucking not same. the same at all. Oh, fuck. That's like exactly the same. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous, man. But I made this really cool new intro, man. It's like kind of like my old one, but I took out all the clips of myself because I hate seeing myself in those clips. And I just made the whole fucking intro just gore. See, <laughs> that's pretty awesome. So pretty what cool. did you uh, do? You ever I, get flagged I, for the music you use? No, I, I, I purposely beat around the bush. Well, this is what happened on Body because I remember I, I was using a I was using a song for a long time on there. And then I also kept getting flagged for it. And I was like, what the fuck? That's so weird. So, and then that's how I started using my own songs. Like, you remember when I did that cover, the two short song, ain't nothing but a word to me. Yeah. And then I used that in the intro for like the longest time. Uh, that's why I started using that. And I was like, fuck this. I'm just going to figure out a way, you know, I'll like, you know, test out the waters. Uh, I made the intro and I uploaded it to YouTube on private. And I wanted to see if it got flagged for the music and stuff. And it didn't. And I was like, okay. So I threw in the video and it was good. I did that with the clip I threw into this update too. I found this clip from Andy Warhol. It's this fucking insane clip where this lady throws out her, throws her baby out the window. It's fucking hilarious. And, um, did the same thing. And so I could just kind of test the waters of this shit because honestly, I have tried to do the proper thing and, and try to contact and it does, I couldn't do it before. And I was like, I just, I'm impatient. I don't have any patience for any of that shit. And uh, so I was like, fuck it. I mean, I've even used my buddy Keel's music in my intros and stuff like that, like his band's music. I, I even asked him. I was like, hey, man, you cool if I use this? And he's like, yep. So, but with some of the other stuff, like some of the Claudio Simonetti stuff is not copyrighted, apparently. So I can use it. I've used Body Count. I've used many different um, theme songs to, to horror films. Night of the Demons, I've gotten away with that. Maybe it's like the length of the clip. I don't know. I think that sure. has 
something but this, to do with it. But this one, it, like the new intro, is like you know it's thirty four seconds long, and you know I didn't get flagged, so I don't know. I, I I really don't know. But I'm not picking anything super popular or anything. But you know, it is what it is. Yeah. So annoying that's shit, just it my is little rant on knowledge. I just it's just frustrating to me. It's sad. It makes me not want to make videos. <laughs> well, I mean. Maybe just go and find another track that you like and just test the waters and maybe you won't get flagged on it. Who knows, man? I don't know. I wish I was musically inclined. I'd make my own. So, moods. Something happened last week that I totally missed. So, Kyle was reviewing Gunwoman, and I was like, oh, yeah, we we, uh, both reviewed that on our top 10 of 2015 show. (laughs) 15, And, uh... I failed to realize that I gave it a nine, you gave it a ten, and then Kyle gave it a nine. You know what that oh, means? That means that that is a score of twenty-eight and an entry into the Hall of Fame. Yeah, totally forgot. Didn't even put it together. Derek actually pointed that out. Thanks, Derek. And uh, we would Hall like fans. to. We would just yeah yeah. We would just like to. Uh, Use this little moment to induct Gunwoman into the Hall of Fame. That is now, shoot, how many members do we have? We have five, ten. Now we have 15 members of the Hall of Fame. Fifteen. Uh, so with, wow. a, with a combined rating of 28 points, 10 from Moods, 9 from me, and 9 from Kyle, that becomes our 15th entry. So we have The Battery, Halloween, Halloween Remake, Sleep Tight, Rosemary's Baby, Night of Living Dead, Jaws, uh, The Phantom's Carriage, Cemetery Man, Angst, Blood and Black Lace, It Follows, Bone Tomahawk, May, and... And? Gunwoman. Correct. <laughs> I am still... I'm still a little, like, with Bone Tomahawk. I'm like, because I'm not part of that rating. Well, I'm not part of May. Oh, you're not, oh, there you go. Look at that. Look at that. The hosts aren't even part of two of the inductees. <laughs> what the now, fuck? Now, if somehow it happens where both of us are not part of one, then something's up. <laughs> that would be fucked up. <laughs> uh, all right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Gunwoman in the Hall. Congratulations, Hall Gunwoman. Well deserved. Yeah, I you love deserve that movie, Miss Gunwoman. To Sami. Tinsamkaka, <laughs> name is. <laughs> Who actually, you know, listen to the the year end episode too, which is very very cool. Yep. Commented back. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so let's move on. Rumor, morbid fact of the day of the week. Yeah, which is my line. My line. So moving along, uh, rumor. <laughs> All righty. So here it is. Corners report. Uh. Okay, <laughs> this one actually kind of made me laugh. Pretty funny stuff. Um, the student who is knocked out, knocked unconscious by the fire hose in the school gym <laughs> during the prom scene in 1976's Carrie was actually, actually knocked out by the pressure during the film scene. Wait, he what? was he was literally knocked out in that scene for real. Oh, uh, damn. So I, I remember. So, so in the script, he's supposed to get knocked out by by the hose, the water, right? By the water, but he literally got knocked out from the pressure during the the scenes filming. 
like it fucking just bolted him over and got it knocked out. <laughs> yeah. So could you just imagine him telling this story? It's like he's like, oh, like some people are like, oh man, you did a good job in that scene, man. Very well acted. You actually look like you're knocked out. And he's like playing it off for years. He's like, yeah, man. He's like, yeah, I fucking I did do a good job, didn't I? And then all of a sudden the truth comes out in rumor. He actually got knocked out for real. Fucking liar. <laughs> yeah, there, I I had uh, my mom's ex boyfriend. Uh, her his sister, their house caught on fire before, and she walked right in front of a fire hose and had the gnarliest black eye I've ever seen in my life. Dude, those things have so much pressure. You can't be fucking walking. That. Why do you think it takes like six firemen to hold those <laughs> hoses, man? There's a reason for that shit. Uh-huh. I mean, because the hose will just go apeshit. It'll take out buildings, man. <laughs> you know, it's crazy, man. Yeah. Crazy shit, man. But I, I thought that was pretty funny. Like, he literally got knocked out. Perfect. Scene shot perfectly. <laughs> definitely. Definitely. <laughs> All right, guys. So that is going to do it for Mood Swings. And, uh, yeah, moving on to the WW portion of the show, which we are not going to go round tree. We are just going to do some segments because we are, of course, covering the Basket Case trilogy. So um, we got segments this week, JP. Yeah, you, uh, you go first this week, bud. Okay. Um, taking it all the way back to 1979 by a f- with a film directed by a guy named Mario Garzoa. Of course, my Italian stallion. And uh, I don't really know much about this guy at all. And I didn't really know much about the film also. All I knew is that it was released by Rare Video on Blu-ray. And um, I knew I had to pick it up because I, I love Rare Video's releases. And the only thing I'd heard from this film is like, it was like ultra sleazy. So I was like, okay. Got to check this one out. Um, and it's called Play Motel from 1979. Um, basically what this film is, it's kind of like a hybrid film in a, in a sense. It's more of like a sexploitation film and with giallo elements. So it's kind of like this giallo sexploitation film in a sense, if that makes any sense. I know a lot of giallos have that element of sexploitation in there, but this one is kind of elevated because there's a lot of sex in the film. Um it's a very simple premise. Uh, it's basically about um, these people that go to this motel, this play motel. And what it is, it's it's got these really fancy, you know, kind of hybrid um, hookers that are in this place. And what they do is they these guys, these, you know, fancy high class guys, they go in there and they get rooms and they and they fuck these girls. But what's going on in the hotel is that there's some dude behind this mirror and he's taking pictures of what's going on with these, you know, these clients. And, uh, you know, he's kind of given the film to, you know, the guy that's working the the counter and stuff like that. And they're using the pictures to blackmail these, um, you know, these big playboys and get some money out of them and stuff. So it's essentially what the, the story is in the film, of course, where the giallo aspects come in. Um, so certain people start getting blackmailed in this film and, you know, some other, you know, girls and, and people start to kind of look into it. They start to investigate. Anyways, they start getting killed off by this, you know, this unknown assailant wearing black gloves and, you know, you know, the POV type giallo stuff. And so these people start disappearing and things like that. And then you got your story. Um, <laughs> now my thoughts on this film. Now, this is a really, really sleazy film it is insanely sleazy man wow okay you know right off the hop you know of course the whole storyline having to do with playboys and and these high class hookers and stuff like that there's gonna be a lot of sex but this one is just like exploitation at its best uh there's non-stop sex lots of tits lots of muff there's even hardcore shots in this film 
you can actually watch the in the special features. There's about seven, eight minutes of hardcore footage that they'd filmed for the film that they never put into it. But you can watch it. I was actually kind of curious on why Raro didn't actually put two versions of the film on one Blu-ray, you know, kind of insert the hardcore uh, scenes. But they didn't do it. But anyways, you can watch those separately. But yeah, this one right here, man, totally full of amazing, amazing, beautiful women. Uh, so much tits and, and muff and ass is just insane. Um, mixed in with this amazing soundtrack. This movie has one of the catchiest theme songs I've heard in a, in a giallo sexploitation film in a long time. Now the thing with the thing with this film is that it's more sexploitation than giallo. It's not really much of a thriller, um, per se, because, you know, the elements of thriller and giallo are, they're there. They're just not as as existent as the sexploitation of portion of the film, you know, with that said, there's a lot of police investigation things that are going on in this one, but there's just not a lot of like tense moments and, and a lot of body count. And, you know, which is kind of a shame because there's a lot of opportunity in this film to have a lot of body count. It starts out where a few people get killed and then there's just a lot of police investigation. Like there's a couple this beautiful woman in this film and her and her boyfriend, they get involved in this police investigation and they kind of infiltrate and they kind of kind of break the whole thing and things like that. And so you got kind of this all going on, which brings me into the uh, the narrative of the film is kind of all over the place. It really is all over the place. It's kind of a it's a really weird film. You can tell that scenes were filmed just to have in the film. So they were kind of focusing more on the skin aspect of uh, of the film, kind of making it more of a sexploitation. Um, the narrative is just fucking it's bonkers it really is bonkers and it's not really well executed either because you kind of know who the killer is of the film right in the beginning of the movie which is kind of a shame so kind of downplays the giallo uh elements in the aspect of the film right there but overall man this one right here is such a fun watch i had just an amazing time watching this thing man i'm telling you right from the open like right when you pop in this blu-ray and the uh the fucking the the menu comes up it has this play motel song and it's just amazingly catchy. Well, they play this thing probably 10, 12 times throughout the film. So catchy. Awesome. The other really weird element of this movie that I thought was interesting to note is the tone of it. Now, when I was first, you know, the first 15, 20 minutes of the film, I thought it was going to be like a serious giallo sexploitation thriller type film. And it appears that it is, but there's a lot of like kind of undertone, uh, black comedy moments and things like that are going on mixed in with this kind of very odd and strange uh, score, you know? And so I started to realize, I was like, man, this movie isn't overly that serious. So you can tell the filmmaker wasn't trying to take the story, the little story that he had too serious, which is very cool because, you know, it added this, it, it added this element for the viewer that was so surprising to me. Cause like I said, I was expecting it to be serious, but it wasn't. And some of the comedic moments were actually translating quite well. I was laughing in parts pretty fucking hard, actually. Um, and it's it's not even silly at all. They're they're very kind of low key and kind of subtle, which I really liked about the film. I thought it was fantastic. The ending third act is really ridiculous. So much fun. Um, but I, I just couldn't help laugh just the way it goes down. It was just really, really good stuff. But I do recommend Play Motel. It's not a fantastic narrative. If you're looking for something like, you know, you know, a really solid giallo like uh, the bird with the crystal plumage or uh, deep red or any of those really classic bavas like, you know, blood and black lace and, and so on and things like that. You're not going to find that this one's a kind of a, a different film. Like, the, like I said, the hybrid type. But if you're looking for lots of awesome looking women, tits and muff, 
Yeah, and I'm talking major, major bushes in this. Even with some hardcore moments, even in this version too. There's there's some open vag in this, man. I'm not I'm not gonna lie. Pretty cool stuff. Mixed in with a great soundtrack. Check out Play Motel. Really enjoyed this film. I was surprised at how much I was digging this. Uh, I've been kind of on a sleaze kick right now, so maybe I'm not trying to say that I'm being biased, but I really fucking enjoyed this movie. Uh, it's not great, so I'm kind of you know kind of got a factor in all that type of stuff, but I'm gonna give it you know about a seven out of ten. It's uh, it's definitely worth the watch. Check it out. Um, fun stuff, man. Really, really fun stuff. There's some open vag in it, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was funny because the reason why I didn't note that is because, uh, like I said in the special features, you can watch the hardcore footage. And I was surprised to see some open vag <laughs> in the film, you know, <laughs> considering they just they, they shot these hardcore scenes, you know, to insert, haha, <laughs> pun intended. And um, yeah, it was really great. But man, dude, I, I can't get over the way the women looked in this film, some of the women in this film are just gorgeous. And they look, they didn't even look like some of the styles and stuff looked really good. Like you see people wearing even the hairdos now, you know, because I, I know like every style is kind of back right now. But yeah, it just kind of, I don't know, it didn't seem that dated. I mean, there's things that are dated, obviously, but yeah, fun film, man. Check it out, people. Play Motel if you're into your sleaze. Good stuff. All right, man. That's, uh, that's something. I that's one of those titles that I'll never remember, you know. <laughs> okay, so the film for my segment, which is Horror 101 this week on that documentary kick again. Uh this is where I review a documentary either like movie related or just sort of in this case sci-fi related, even though it's kind of scary too. Uh, we are reviewing Alien Autopsy, Fact or Fiction, from the year 1995. And this film, I actually picked up on VHS at a Goodwill the other day. And I was just really curious about it because it was only like an hour long. And I was like, okay, I, I, you know, I was hoping that this was not on DVD because then it would be something cool like to find, you know. But it, unfortunately, it actually is on DVD, which kind of bum me out but i did watch it on vhs and this is very i think that's how you should watch something like this uh so a little background on this film it was made in 1995 and it aired on fox as sort of a big deal at the time like you probably remember this but it is sort of i guess the idea behind it is they have footage from Roswell, New Mexico in 1947 uh, when the uh, UFO crash happened. And then the footage is uh, – there was a, they found the footage essentially of the alien autopsy. Uh, and basically the documentary shows pieces of the footage and then it has experts talk about the footage. Mm-hmm. Everybody from uh, camera experts to uh, military uh journalist who who recorded things for the military in uh world war ii era and different eras so they have like an insight on what this footage would kind of look like uh camera experts who uh look at the film itself and talk about what kind of camera it was used in uh also the uh stan west stan winston uh he talks about whether he thinks it's fake or not 
uh, because, you know, if it's fake, then it would be a special effect that was recorded with an old ass camera and, you know, a special effects artist would probably be able to tell that it's fake. So really cool, you know, cause the footage, honestly, like it looks decent. Like I think it looks fake as fuck. <laughs> Um, but yeah. <laughs> that's just because I know that it's fake as fuck. I feel like if I didn't know that it was fake as fuck, then, <laughs> then it wouldn't look fake as fuck. So I, it looks that's good. Four times. That's four times. It, it looks good, but it's, it doesn't look good. Cause I know it's fake as fuck is what I'm trying to say <laughs> now. Uh, like it's a really cool little hour long thing because they like you can tell it's biased as fuck as well. <laughs> like like the people presenting it obviously want you to think that it's real because it aired on Fox and Prime Time in '95, and it actually aired one more time after that. But it, it also starts out with a little backstory. Like there, there there's a woman who talks that her dad was part of the crash site when it happened, and she she touched this metal that like when you touched it, it like disintegrated practically into like it just got smaller and smaller and smaller and you couldn't feel it and then when you let it go it would expand and it like that was cool because i'm like okay like i feel like they're you know the whole alien thing like like i ha- i feel like there's some probably truth to it and some, a lot of bullshit to it um definitely i could believe that there's some weird shit you know whether it's you you know from another world or it's just government made or whatever, like uh, another country made it. Like I'm sure there's some weird shit that's happened over the years, especially during the fifties and in Roswell. So it is interesting to hear that and seeing it on a grainy VHS makes it kind of creepy. Um, I did do some back story on this because I was like, I knew about that footage. I've seen that footage before the footage that they show in the film, but it's like 22 minutes of footage that they show throughout like, different pieces of it and it's an autopsy like they cut the alien's skull and the the slit it down its side and stuff and pull out brains and shit and i knew the footage is fake because i remember seeing the footage and i know that the guy who sold the footage to the producers at fox eventually came out in like 2006 and said that it was fake it but there was he's seen real footage and he recreated this footage because the real footage was like damaged. <laughs> really? Um, so I already knew that it was fake going into this once I started seeing the footage. Cause I knew that I, I knew the footage, but it looks, it does look good. Like, I mean, if, if this was 1995 and I seen that, I'd be like probably hundred percent convinced uh, that it was real. And the the, uh, Stan Winston and his whole crew of effects guys were kind of blown away with it. They were like, man, you know, if we, if, if this is fake, this is a really good job because if we did this, we would be hella proud of it. So it was weird. I don't know if they like told him to say that. I'd be curious to talk to whoever was there and be like, Hey, did <laughs> that is interesting you to say that? Because like they were really kind of blown away with it. They were, it seemed like they were convinced that it was real. <laughs> Um, because it does look good. Like when, when they slice it down its side and stuff, like it's bleeding, like, and it, and it bleeds like, not like in a way, like, cause it's, they were talking about how it was hard. It's hard to make something bleed in that way where it looks natural. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there, there was that and like, you know, it, it was really, really neat to see. Like, I would have loved to see this on Fox back in 95, but 
uh, it was cool to see in VHS in my TV, on my little TV too. Like I was actually really happy with this little pickup on VHS. Uh, overall, you know, it, they, they don't really get, get, you know, they don't get anywhere with it, obviously. And um, they're really biased, and they want you to believe it. And apparently, Fox, like they, they, because there's one, the person who, I guess, had the footage, the guy who recorded it back in '55. He was like trying to be anonymous, so they hired like private investigators, like find him. And I guess when they were filming that portion of it, they were kind of getting the idea that okay this might be like fake as fuck and they kind of decided to pump the brakes <laughs> on that because they want they didn't want to find out that it was fake before it aired because the the 22 minute footage came to them from the guy who you know retrieved the footage but later we found out he actually made it himself and they made a documentary out of this footage around this footage so i mean it's a really cool concept and like how it all came together is cool uh but it's just at the end of the day it's fake as fuck but it's still pretty (laughs) entertaining i give it a seven out of ten it's not bad man for an hour long it's pretty cool i like Mm -hmm. it i think that was seven times you said fake as fuck in there it's not bad (laughs) it's not bad i like that (laughs) might be the might be the most you've ever cursed during a reverse, during a reverse, during a review, <laughs> yeah, that, that's cool. Yeah, man, um, man, I have honestly, I haven't seen it forever. I I couldn't give a, a concrete opinion on it right now because I haven't seen it in a long time. But I would like to watch that again. You've seen it, yeah. Uh, okay. I've seen it before. Did you see it yeah. in, on Fox in '95? <laughs> I want to say I did, actually, because I think it was like a big event. You know, yeah, it was, it was like, a big deal, man. It did yeah. like 11.7 million viewers or some shit. I probably did, man. It would it would have made sense. I would have been 15 right into that stuff. Like, oh yeah. I mean, you know, I probably I, seen it too. I, I I probably did because I was really into stuff like that even when I was like four. <laughs> you know what I mean? You shouldn't be watching when you're four, man. Oh, dude, I was watching Friday the 13th when I was two. Damn, you old school, man. Yeah, I was crazy. But no, <laughs> no, seriously, like, I love stuff like this. Like, I remember when Unsolved Mysteries used to do, like, the, the oh. odd episode where they would do, like, aliens and shit. And you'd be like, yeah, you'd hear that music and shit. It's scary. I can't, even, I can't even fucking click on my goddamn body bags reviews because I use the... I, I use the theme music for it. <laughs> it still scares me, man. This shit's yeah. terrifying. It's probably like the best theme music ever for a TV show. X-Files is pretty good, too. I think Unsolved Mysteries is like untouchable. It's so creepy, man. Yeah. So well done. Yeah, Such a- but it, you you remember that when every once in a while they'd break from like actual real things and like do like aliens or ghosts? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I remember that shit. Yeah, I used to love that, man. I heard the Unsolved Mysteries is trying to come back. There was like a Kickstarter or something. Really, you know, it's just not the same though, man. Because, because didn't they have like uh, another guy doing it there for years that wasn't Robert Stack? Oh, I think Robert Stack was trying to do it again. Is he still alive? No, know. Robert Stack's dead. Okay, never mind. <laughs> yeah, and that was the thing. I think after I think there was another one, and I think there was another guy doing. It. I can't. I never seen it before. I never seen any episodes that wasn't Robert Stack. So, just not sure. Yep. So that's yeah. that's my segment, guys. All right, so that is going to do it for the WWW portion segment time. 
<laughs> here this week on episode 77. Alrighty, so getting into, yes, part one of the Frank Henenlotter, uh director spotlight. And also known as the Basket Case Trilogy episode. Also known as the Basket Case Trilogy. Yes. Man. I, you know, honestly, I can't even believe we never thought of this earlier. We now think of this earlier. Basket Case, man. It's great. Yeah, I know. I know. I've actually, funny enough, I've reviewed Basket Case on a podcast before. I know. I know you have, actually. I thought about that when I was watching Basket Case, actually. So, um, yeah, man. Basket Case. Good, good stuff. I don't really have like a whole lot of more notes about, you know, notes that I that I can remember when I was watching the documentary and stuff. Um, except for I know like one of the lead effects artists on Basket Case. Um, I know he left it during the filming of the original film to go work on the film Wolfen, hmm. which is kind of cool. And he actually he'd worked on Altered States and things like that too. So, which Altered States is known for like. Like the effects are just fucking outstanding. That's what really sticks out about the film. So kind of a cool thing, but so Basket Case from 1982, written and directed by Frank Henenlotter. Uh, this film follows a young man who journeys to the big city of New York carrying a big <laughs> wicker basket. Uh, we find out fairly later into the film that it's actually his deformed Siamese twin brother, Belial who seeks revenge on the doctors who separated them against their will. So right away, man, I got to say that I have like the biggest obsession with dirty eighties, seventies, New York city. Well, you know what you're seeing in the first scene, right? Is that was 42nd o- street or something. That's 42nd street. That's the original, you know, that's uh, that's Broadway basically. Um, Times Square type deal. Um, it's just not the same anymore. <laughs> uh, filmed obviously guerrilla style, you know, walking yes. down 40 stre- 42nd Street in um, 19. I guess this probably would have been filmed in 1981 when they filmed that scene. Very, very awesome. Love that scene. It just sets the tone for the film. It's just, it's, yeah, just whole- sex, live nude girls, you know, porn. Just it's the- amazing. Yeah, it's amazing, really, because you see that scene. And it's not very long. Like you, you see Dwayne walking down the street with Blyle in the basket and uh, it's very short. It's only maybe 15 seconds long kind of thing, but it captures so much of that time period. And it's just like, oh, I wish I was alive. I mean, I was alive, but it was two. But I mean, I wish I could have experienced 42nd Street. It just looks so damn cool. And it just it's amazing how such a like a short clip can capture so much. Yeah, and you know Brilliant. you hear the the people talking, you hear the cars and and the the sounds like it it just instantly sets the tone for the film for me. Not only the tone for the film that that we're about to watch, but the style of film that it is, which is this this super low budget like thirty thousand dollar B movie that is filmed guerrilla style and made specifically to play in these sort of like grindhouse theaters. Yeah. And, you know, and that's that's a good note, too, because Frank Henenlotter grew up watching films on 42nd Street. And, you know, he'd done a couple of short films before this and stuff. And that was the idea. You know, he was like making this film. And he kept thinking, no one's ever going to see this shit. And he, he even, you know, even the film showing on 42nd Street was like a big deal to him. You know, it, it was just like crazy stuff. Like he was just fucking blown away that, you know, where he grew up watching all these films, his film was being showed there. And he's like, 
it was like the world to him. So, but it makes sense. You film yeah. a film on 42nd Street, might as well show it on 42nd Street, right? Uh, it just has that. I love the look of this film. It looks so fantastic. I mean, one thing that a lot of people would probably never take away from watching the Basket Case trilogy is Frank Henenlotter's ability to have amazing cinematography. Like the guy does, he shoots really well scenes. He sh- the way he shoots scenes and the way he edits scenes. I mean, even in Basket Case, I mean, throughout this movie, he does a lot of really good editing and a lot of good cinematography work. Um, it's probably something you just wouldn't, you know, consider when you're watching Basket Case going, yeah, that's really good. That's really good. But, you know, he was still a very young filmmaker trying to make the stupidest film ever. You have to keep that in mind, you know, but at the same time, you can tell Frank Henenlotter was taking the shit very serious because apparently it's kind of a pain in the ass to work with. He's very serious on the set, but he's making this ridiculous film. And that's what I like about his film. And it really shows on the screen. He's got this really ridiculous idea, um, which essentially is like a revenge film, you know, in a sense. It's straight out case. of EC Comics, really. Yeah, it, this movie is a fucking it's a revenge film. You've got these these twin brothers that have been separated at birth. One is obviously majorly deformed who are from upstate New York who come down to the, the big city to get revenge on this veterinarian that separated them, blah, 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 you know, kind of thing. Right. It's, like, it's kind of funny, like how it, the, yeah, the whole it's like a Dr. Fives type revenge. Yeah. It, you know, it's what you actually twist. have to think about the revenge, you know, because you're just so focused on this amazing character and, and these effects of Belial, you know, this whole idea of this like living Siamese twin that was attached to, you know, this, this brother. And so I, I love that whole aspect. I think it's so cool how it just kind of takes away and you take the film for what it is. And, um, it has this tone. The tone of the film is, it's really, what, like, what are your thoughts on the tone of the film? I think the look of it's awesome. The tone, I love it because it's like serious, but at times it's not, you know, and it has this. Like, I, I honestly it's like a don't even think it's film. very much not serious. Like I, I feel like it's pretty much played straight face through yeah. the film. Yeah, and um, that's the thing. I mean, there is there is obviously dark humor in there, and there's comedic elements with thing. It's mostly in the dialogue. Like there's a scene in the film where Dwayne checks into the hotel, and uh, <laughs> he pulls out this gangster wad of like fifties and twenties. Who it never explained why he has all this fucking money. I don't think. Mm-hmm. And uh, but you know, and <laughs> the one guy is totally eyeing up the money. Anyways, he goes up the stairs carrying Blyle and he goes, the one guy goes, man, he's loaded. And the guy that that's running the fucking, the, the hotel goes, so are you. Yeah. <laughs> that, I mean, that's like a line that you could see a guy like that making. Exactly. But it may, it makes me laugh every time I hear that. But like, it just doesn't take away from like the honest to God, serious tone of this ridiculous premise. Yeah. It's well, amazing how he captures this. I love when, when he walks into the hotel and the the manager like i love that character like i feel like this is a film where and this is might sound crazy but i honestly feel like you can dissect this film scene by scene and point out like why like that's good yeah. like why this works and why that works because i really do think that this is a a fantastic movie uh, of of just this low budget proportion that that really excels beyond well, anything that it should be it's way better than it deserves to be it, it makes a lot of sense because frank henenlotter is a huge film for, he loves movies mm-hmm. not just horror films exploitation he <laughs> likes film so you can tell that he had studied and really took notes while watching films and like what to do and what not to do and things like that because it shows up in this film that he made for thirty five thousand dollars that essentially looks a lot bigger than it than it definitely cost 
you know, it, it's really cool. Like, I mean, the actors and, and things like, I mean, Dwayne was taken from, I think he was taken from an acting school. Like he was still in school at the time. I think so too. Right. And so that's kind of cool. And like, just kind of did it like that and was taking chances on these people, you know, technically. And, um, just, uh, just the aesthetics of this film is just, it's crazy, man. It really is. It shows that someone who had done a couple of short films before had a lot of fucking talent. Yeah, I was actually really impressed with uh, Kevin Henterick's performance as Dwayne. Uh, he has this like sort of dopey quality to him, mm-hmm. but he seems like genuinely like a nice guy, and he's just kind of like doing shit for his brother. And oh yeah, and he like the girl that he meets. It's kind of an interesting little relationship there too, because she's like kind of a little bit of an oddball as well. Mm-hmm. And he obviously is like it went in way over his head in terms of like the world, like the world's just a couple steps ahead of him. He he uh, you know, he does stuff that like he pulls out a big wad of money when like any normal person knows like you don't do that, especially I, in like, I, the middle of New York. <laughs> I love that scene because, you know, that showcases. Yeah, his mentality is still upstate New York in the small town. In a small town, you can get away with pulling out a gangster wad. No one's going to really look twice at it like, oh, that guy's got fucking, you know, 100 bucks on him. Or not 100 bucks, <laughs> like $1,000 on him. In the big city, he's not thinking about it. He's, being, he's a super naive character is yeah. what it is. Yeah, he's very naive. And I think also, you know, yeah, obviously he just assumes that people are not douchebags in life. <laughs> Which is so ironic, though, when you think about it. The irony there is insane because he's like on 42nd Street, like the the dungiest and gross area. Um, probably the area that you just, the one area you really don't want to be, you know, you're going to get jacked in a second. <laughs> like you look around and you see like, just, I love looking, especially on the Blu-ray that I have is the, uh, the, um, something weird video Blu-ray. And I, I think it looks really good, especially when you look at like the, you know, pop bottles and beer cans and just, uh, different like brown bags like laying all over like just the hallways like it's just normal to them like they're like and that's actually like how it looked like they like it's crazy how different it is now compared to what it was like back then well i've i've been there you know since it's like you know new age fucking you know Times square broadway whatever um it's it's nothing it's not the same man (laughs) i could just imagine how cool it was you know back in those days it's not the same such yeah, I mean the the dirt in this film, like you feel like you can wipe it off the screen. One of the things that I wanted to say about the Blu-ray modes is I'm not sure if the Blu-ray that you have, which is um, the UK release, has the introduction by Frank Henenlotter. Um, I don't think it does. No. Okay, so I was wondering if it's the same transfer because Frank Henenlotter does an introduction on this blu-ray and it actually is about three minutes long and it's really good he really explains exactly what he was looking for when doing this transfer because he was you know he did it himself like he was a supervisor of the transfer and he said one of the things that they did when they filmed the the basket case was he didn't really know what he was doing he just had a camera and he pointed it at square and he just shot things not knowing that you know he i believe he shot on 16 millimeter you gotta blow it up to 35 and then everything he said they tried to they thought about blowing it up to 35 for this release and he did and everything was just too congested and too close up so they decided to leave it uh the way that it is but one thing that he said that was interesting and i was curious about the transfer that you have because he said that all of originally when they shot the film it had a blue tint on all the night scenes 
And he said, for some reason, they got rid of that tint when they made all their prints and subsequent releases of the film uh, that went out all over the world and, and, you know, the different prints that they had and DVD releases and stuff. And that tint was not there. So he said one thing when he did the Blu-ray is he wanted to bring the blue tint back. Um, so it definitely has a blue tint to it. And I was just curious if yours did or not. It definitely has it in, you know, in the end scenes for sure. I mean, it wasn't as prevalent as watching something like Madman. Um, yeah. It's something I didn't really notice too, too much. But I wanted to ask you, is your what it, what aspect ratio is your um, Blu-ray in? The something weird. Is it in full screen? Um, what I don't know what the difference is. Like, like full screen. It has not... bars on the sides. Yeah, that's full screen. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so it probably is the same transfer. Yeah, the transfer looks really good. It looks really good. Yeah. You know, for that film. And I was like, I mean, compared to two and three, which are an anamorphic widescreen? It wide is um, 1.781 by one or something. Hmm. Interesting. Um, yeah. Two and three are just, I have to say, man, the Blu-rays, uh, which haven't been released. Oh, no, no. It's 1.33 by one. Okay. I don't know what any of that means. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the the Blu-ray transfers for two and three are in you know full screen whatever, or I mean in widescreen and uh, they are phenomenal. They look pristine like the films were just shot yesterday. Like it's so crazy, so crazy man. Like you know I mean they had more money when they shot two and three, but fuck I was blown away when I popped these things in again. I was like holy shit man, crazy. I mean I know the snaps DVDs look pretty good. Holy fuck. These transfers are just outstanding. Really, really good. Just blew my blew my mind watching so, it again. So. Um, one of the things that I really appreciate about the first Basket Case film is they actually leave Belial in the dark for a, a long time. Like, like you, you as an audience, if you didn't see the cover of the film and see, you know, know about it or see a trailer or anything, like you wouldn't know exactly what the hell was in the basket because everybody keeps asking what's in the basket. He's like, oh clothes <laughs> yep. you know and uh i i find that it's effective to keep it in the dark for a little while and then finally let it go uh also i mean dude when you when you watch this movie and like for example when he goes to kill the first doctor and he goes to that waiting room and he goes in the doctor's office it is just disgusting like that is not where i want to go to get, get, seek medical attention oh i know man that, that doctor is such a <laughs> dirtbag too right <laughs> and there's like files everywhere and like oh, the yeah. filing cabinets got filing cabinet upon filing cabinet on top just, of it <laughs> he captures it well though because the first scene or the first shot you see of the doctor he's eating like this fucking downright greasy burger and it just it he fits just the surrounding like half of it in his mouth like he pushes it in with one finger and he's just like when no, his I know. They're all pumped out. I love, it. and then he wipes his hands like on his shirt, I think, and then he, he kind of cleans off the table and just goes. Doesn't like actually wash his hands. This <laughs> is <just> like <laughs> it adds to like the whole feel of that room. It's just dirty, you know. It's great. It's totally great. But I like how they, how you first, you know, get to see Belial, man. I love that scene, man. It's great. It's yeah, great stuff. yeah. And you know, the the story is kind of simple. And, you know, we've seen it done time and time again since then. But at the time, I think it was, you know, pretty deep, pretty decently crafted, honestly. And, you know, I've heard people say this is like one of the so bad it's good movies. I 100 percent disagree. Um, 
I don't think you can really say that this is a bad movie because no. I don't think that it is. I really genuinely <laughs> think this is a well-done, well-crafted, well-told story of revenge. I mean, yeah, there's a little bit of, you know, wonky shit here and there like there is in, in it, most movies that are this low budget. There's absolutely no way this movie falls into the so bad it's good category. That that completely is a bullshit quote. Why? Whoever said that? That's, it, that's garbage, man. I think there's a lot of talent here. You know, Frank Henenlotter might be downplaying himself. You know, I didn't know what I was doing, blah, blah, blah. But you can obviously tell that there's something there because even in the editing, the way he shot this film and a lot of the angles used and stuff for the budget he had, maybe he's just really good with money. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But he did a really good job. It's very convincing that someone of, you know, who only made a couple short films before, you know, shot this film. It, It looked like someone knew what they were doing. He did it really just good doesn't... casting all around with, you know, like the uh, chick who's like the neighbor uh, tenant who is, you know, the, it honestly feels more like an apartment than a hotel. But you know what it reminds me of? It reminds me of those films where, you know, some actor moves from a small town into, you know, uh, into California and, you know, to Los Angeles or whatever and moves into like it's kind of like Melrose Place in a way. That's what that's what that hotel reminded me of. Basically, what those those hotel those apartments were um, is that all these actors would always live in these places, and they'd, they'd be just renting rooms for like long periods of time, you know, because they were trying to make it in the business. And that's kind of what that felt like to me, because these characters were there the whole time, <laughs> you know, they were yeah. never going anywhere, so they were essentially living in there. I don't know what their motives were in life, but it kind of reminded me of those films where. Film set in Los Angeles where they're just living in these apartments, kind of like Starry Eyes in a way. Yeah, yeah, right. It's kind of like that. That's that's really what it reminded me of. So, yeah, yeah, definitely. And you know, uh, I thought the casting with uh, her was decent. I think her name is like Beverly something, Beverly uh, Bonner, I believe her name is the actress. Uh, mm-hmm. She's in actually a lot of Frank Henenlotter's films. Uh, she plays the character Casey. I, yeah, I really liked yeah. her and the the girl uh, Terry Smith played Sharon, the love interest. She, this is actually her only film that she's ever been in, hmm. and she has this glowing uh, vibe to her. She just has this like she glows. Did you notice that? Yeah, it's kind of a cutie. Yeah, like she just ha- like something with her eyes and stuff. She's just very commanding, um, and you know. So Dwayne kind of gets a little love interest going with her and his brother and him speak telepathically, which I thought was kind of an interesting, but um, I don't think necessary. But I I actually, I actually disagree. I think it is necessary. I mean, it's necessary to note because there's been a lot of studies on twins and, you know, their, their telepathic uh, ways and their ESP and stuff like that, like their extra sensory perception, I think is what it stands for. Mm -hmm. Um, Apparently, it's like a real thing with twins and just, you know, being them that they're Siamese twins, they have like an extra, extra bond, you know. So once they're separated, it kind of makes sense to to note that, you know, they might have this, you know, telepathic relationship or ESP relationship or whatever. I think I mean, he doesn't dwell on it. A, I mean, a shitload. I mean, it's there quite prevalent because Dwayne is talking to Belial and, you know, arguing with him and doing things and stuff like that. But I think it is I think it is worthy of noting that it is i think it's necessary to have it there makes sense Mm, yeah i don't know i i mean i don't 
I don't, I don't necessarily. I, it feels like more of an afterthought to me. Like it, it feels like it was just kind of I mean, stuffed this, in there to like. This, link a this few is like things. a real study. Like I mean, they study this shit for like ever and ever, and like even twins themselves. Like have you ever have you ever watched any of those things on? Twi- like it's pretty interesting, man. How they. Um, I remember watching this one case where um, these twins had uh, moved I'm apart. I'm just talking about in the story, like how it was utilized. I'm not yeah. really talking about whether it has like significance in like. No, no, no. It's I mean, it's I think it's just relevant to the film. I mean, it kind of makes sense because they're Siamese twins. They get separated and just having it gives it kind of an excuse to have Dwayne talking to him and, and conversating and fighting with Blyle and, you know, well, for see, all those I, necessary that's my scenes. issue, though, because like he talks out loud to him, like but, it's in most of the scenes. And well, I mean, but I mean, that makes a lot of sense, because, I mean, if you're fighting with someone that couldn't really talk, you're probably going to be shouting back. I mean, I couldn't keep it in. Could you? You know, if you're getting pissed, if he's like saying some shit in your head, he's like, I mean, he's, he's not like, doing Dwayne. it. I wanted, I'm, I'm, he's like, fuck you, Dwayne. I wanted, he's like, not doing that. Cheeseburgers. That's not, he, he talks to him. All, he doesn't really get pissed at him till the end of the film. You know what I mean? He's like talking to him about hamburgers and stuff. I'm, I'm not saying that it's like a big deal or anything. I'm just, I'm just saying that like, oh, I got no problem. I, I love it, man. I think it makes perfect sense, man. I think it makes, and I mean, it's quite prevalent. I'm not saying it doesn't make sense. It definitely makes sense. I'm just saying that it, that the way they utilized it in the film, it just felt like an afterthought. Like it wasn't like it, like it was just a mention type thing. And I I, I don't know. I just don't, I don't, I don't, don't, it doesn't feel like that to me at all, man, to be honest. But I mean, it really does show. And it's, it's kind of a nice setup to, you know, introduce that in the first film for, you know, the second and third film to what happens, you know, because they are separated at points and, you know, he's like, Oh, I feel them, you know, things that are, Going on, there's a really funny sex scene that he feels in. Um, I think it, I think it works. I think it totally works. I mean, it just it just makes sense to me, anyways. So which works, <laughs> you know, it's not a bad thing. But um, so you know, uh, the only the like one of the only other, and it's not only in this one, but one of the only other like sort of little nitpick complaints that I have is. Is this one feels like the ending was also just sort of like hurried, hurried along, like it was just, just. Yeah, but you know what, man, the, a lot of things in this movie are due to budget constraint constraints completely. I mean, if you notice, like, um, well, I mean, Belial <laughs> is basically made up of like a coke bottle and a bunch of like rubber and shit like that. <laughs> it's like the <laughs> cheapest design ever. Um, obviously they used animatronics in like in the, in the sequels and things like that but well, Frank Hanamlotter still has the original Belial. That's so crazy. He, he even says it in the in the in the documentary that it's it's quite rotted now. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. But it kind of makes sense. Does, but does I think that, it, I, uh set have the uh special feature where he walks around New York and sort of horrors hollowed grounds is it? That special feature is so cool, dude. It's, I think it's like 20 minutes or something. I watched it the last time I watched Basket Case. But he walks around New York to all these different clubs. Like this this one place when they filmed there, it was like a uh, like gay club or like BDSM club or something. And they filmed the bar scene in there. Uh, it was so neat. Uh, it's a really cool special feature. If it's on that Blu-ray, definitely watch it. Yeah, I really only saw... There, there is a long list of features, but I, I saw the documentary "What's in the Basket." And I was like, I need to watch that. Um, so may, maybe it is on there. I'm not 100 percent sure. So yeah, that that's that's a really cool special feature. It, it has it has um, Belial. Uh, he shows off the the little Belial thing that's still around. It's, mm-hmm. it's kind of a little rotted now, but 
um, it's still looks, you know, relatively the same. Yeah, I, I, I truly think that, you know, Frank Hennenlauter wanted a little bit more, you know, effect scenes and, you know, gore scenes and things like that in the film, um, you know, but, you know, the budget just didn't allow that to happen. And maybe that's what happened with the end of the film, too. He never said anything in the documentary about, you know, exactly why the ending was like that and the way it went down and things like that. But who knows? I, it probably has a lot to do with budget because a lot of things were done. I mean, the whole film was yeah, based but- on budget because they were filming and they didn't even have the money. You know, it's really crazy. So, yeah, I, I just I mean, obviously, like you can point the budget for every every flaw but I mean, in, but, in the film. But I'm just saying, like, the but I'm way using, that the I'm, ending I'm only plays... using that as, as an excuse because or not as an excuse because he did state that they were shooting as they were going, as they were collecting money. Right. So mm-hmm. you never know what's going to come next. Right. If you if you might not get any more money. So that that is a really yeah. So you might want to think about starting to start your ending a little earlier than just sort of like at the very end. Yeah, I I I just I find I don't you know just you know obviously the budget yeah the budgets that the budget was bad and stuff and you know as he goes he's filming as he goes and stuff but I mean they did that in in Phantasm too and you know there's there's a list of hundreds of films that that have done that I'm just saying in this film the ending. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of of, of just the rush nature of the ending. Like it, it's like you're just what and it's not just this film though. So that the, I I don't think that it's like a you know the the best excuse is the budget because well, the mean, other films do that too. The endings well, are poor. Well, you you know you know what man, I wouldn't worry about not talking about the ending because all these films have like straight up continuity. So we could probably go into spoiler territory here because we kind of have to. Yeah, yeah. I just, I didn't, I, I just didn't say it because, like, I, I, just, I don't know. I just didn't. <laughs> well, I mean, the, there's the, like really not much to say about the ending. I mean, yeah, I know. I'm just talking about where part two picks up from. Yeah, yeah. Right. So you kind of have to. I mean, it, the, even part three recaps part two. You know, the first ten, fifteen minutes or whatever. So, um, I don't know. Yeah, you can always blame budgets. I, I don't really have a lot of problems with it, man. To be honest, it just. The whole film really does work for me. I just, I don't know. There's so many things in this film that I find so intriguing. Like, you know, even the scene where, you know, when you first see Blyle in the doctor's office when he attacks him and stuff, even the color of blood looks fantastic. Mm-hmm. It looks so damn good. Like, there's so many things in this film that look so good. You know what I think looks really good is when uh, you see young Dwayne and he has him attached to him. Yeah. I thought that that looked pretty good. You know, that's a cool scene, man, because they explain how they did it when they cut it open. And Frank didn't didn't really know how exactly they were going to, you know, use to have the effect. Because obviously when you're separating two people, you're going to find some guts and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they had no money. They only had like a, like 20 bucks or something like that. It was crazy. And uh, so they just went and bought, bought some hamburger and some chicken livers and things like that and just kind of all stuffed it up into that into that mold so when they cut it, it all kind of fell out you know, like the pieces yeah. that were falling out that was like hamburger hitting the ground and i guess frank put those ridiculous sound effects and that's another thing i love about these films is frank henenlotter's use of awesome sound effects they're kind of over accentuated but they work mm-hmm. because it's just silly right but it's not like you know cartoon silly I don't know if that makes any sense, but it just it always works for me. I always notice those sound effects. And I'm like, oh, that's hilarious, man. <laughs> like this one piece of hamburger falls out or guts that it's supposed to be. And it's just like, bunk. 
<laughs> I love that sound effect, man. Fucking good stuff. I don't um, know, man. I just find it like pretty brilliant. Like he's good. Man, the sound effect, like some of them are good. So, like they, they're very close to that edge of like. Well, yeah, of course, of course, when, you know, Belial's abnormal appetite where he's like feeding him yeah. packs of hot dogs and burgers reminds and stuff. me like gremlins. It does, man. That's exactly what I was thinking, too. It kind of reminds me of that, too. The same thing. But I, I don't know. I, I enjoy the sound effects. It's just very 80s. That's okay. very, very 80s. All right. The the final thing that I had a bit of an issue with was um, that just poor, poor stop motion scene. Um, it's not even like cheesily fun. It's just bad. Wow. Really? Yeah. It's, it's bad stop motion. But I mean, to get those type of shots, I mean, you have to, honestly, I give him a lot of credit for that because he wanted to have some scenes where, you know, I mean, he could have went the puppet route, you know, obviously. Right. But he wanted the, you know, the far out shot and he wanted to show all of Belial doing those type of things and stuff. I mean, yeah, it's probably not the greatest. I mean, he didn't have any money to obviously do the greatest stop motion, but well, he did honestly, it himself, and he just did. He wasn't good at it. Yeah, yeah, but I don't. I don't think it's terrible. It's pretty bad, dude. That's. I mean, it's it's one of the worst stop motion scenes I've seen. Really? Yeah, dude. No, I don't think so, man. I've seen worse. I've seen worse stop motion than that. I mean, I haven't seen like a million stop motion scenes. Most of the ones I've seen were pretty damn good. But I don't know, man. It's like, it's all yeah. Fu- it's prob- like, probably it's that done like, in an actual studio and everything. Like, I mean, when you're working grindhouse style like yeah, that, but I mean, dude. I mean, you can't use that as as like an excuse for everything, though, dude. You just can't. You, like, you have to judge the film as the film too. But the film. But really, like, I mean, for what it is, you know, if you're not really knowing what you're doing and you have no budget at all. But does that make it not bad? I didn't say it wasn't like it's it's not really that bad, dude. I don't think it's honestly that bad at well, all. I'm just saying, like, if you look, watch it and you see like the drawer open and then but nobody's near it and the drawer closes again, like it that that's bad stop motion because everything's supposed to go as seamlessly as possible. And I even remember Frank Henenlotter talking about how he thought it was really yeah, a bad it's, job. It, yeah, it's not like the greatest thing in the world, but I honestly do like the scene when he's fucking banging up and down on the bed and stuff. It works. It's fine. I like the scene in, like, the idea of it, but I, I honestly do think that the scene, I, I, I might not, I might have even cut it from the movie if it, if I was, like, editing it. Yeah, I mean, I give him props, though, man, for not doing the puppet portion of it. I mean, he obviously used puppet aspects in the, in you know, in most of the film, right? Um, I, I always thought it was kind of an interesting choice. You know, just to get those shots, you know, and show him totally freaking out in this bedroom and doing that. I don't know why he ever thought that, you know, that was probably the way to go. Um, I love love stop motion when it's done properly, but it's just so bumpy. Like, everything's not like the the way that it he like drops. It's just like, I don't know. It's really not good, in my opinion. It's just it's it's done bumpy it's done you know it's inconsistent throughout like there's a lot of inconsistencies in it it's just it's like if i did the stop motion scene like i've mm-hmm. done a little bit of stop motion it's hard as fuck because it ta- it's so time consuming and the more things you're dealing with the the shittier and harder it is to make everything flow right uh so i understand that it like doing it himself never doing it before it's it's he's not going to 
be able to do it greater. Probably not unless he's, you know, a natural at it or whatever. I'm just saying that it looks bad. Well, what it comes down to, I think it's probably it's probably not the best choice to go with the stop motion. If you if you want to, you know, you know, get those shots, you know, those full Blyle shots of freaking out and stuff, you might just have to fucking bite the bullet. You know, maybe it probably would have been a better choice to, you know, go with the puppet scenes and do that. But well, not necessarily if you can make the stop motion work. If the if the stop yeah. motion would have looked good, then it would have been perfect. But you yeah, know, that's the risk you take, I guess. Well, it is a big risk because when it comes down to it, again with the budget, I mean, if you film these scenes, you can't go back and redo them. So, which is pretty it, interesting that he actually it, spent you know did that much footage on stop motion because i'm sure that got really expensive well i mean if he's doing it himself it probably wasn't overly that much but it probably consumed a little bit of his money and then he's like well it's probably he's probably looking at it going well it's not the greatest but i can't really reshoot this with you know doing puppet scenes and reshoot the whole scenes because it is what it is but mm-hmm. you know it's independent filmmaking man it i mean yeah i mean we've i've seen better stop motion obviously i mean Fuck, I, one of the, I always remember the one uh, tool video with the stop motion, man. Fuck that movie. That, that video is so amazing. The stop motion is so awesome. But, I mean, if you compare it to shit like that, it's just like, yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not great at all. Yeah, it's probably a poor, it's probably a poor choice to, to do it that way. I probably just would have went the easy route because I have no patience for it and did the easier thing. <laughs> but. Yeah. I mean. Who knows? It, it's, it's just one of those things where, uh. I like I, I like all the effects that they did, you know, all the Gorn stuff. I think Bilal looks good in this one. Um and that stop motion scene, it just feels like sort of out of place. Like it, it feels like a big like detour from the actual film. Well, uh, and, that's funny that you said out of place because I literally have that noted. I said, you know, as much as I don't mind the attempt at the stop motion, I do feel it is a little bit out of place. Right? And I even said uh, Frank used that method. I, I find it interesting that Frank used that method of effects rather than puppets. I have that's word for word what I've written down here. Yeah, that, so. like you look at something like Puppet Master, like the first two, where they use stop motion, and that looks really good. Uh, and similarly low budget, which, which is interesting because, well, I mean, yeah, I mean, if you're talking thirty, I, who know, I wonder what the budget is on those films crazy i don't know i mean know i know, I know paramount film, distributed them but i don't know if they put up any money for the they didn't they didn't Th- those were those were picked up but but th- that's the thing though as you notice in the pup master films as time went on they stopped using stop motion because it's fucking so time consuming and and ridiculous but the thing with stop motion is I think that had Frank Henenlotter through a scene early in the movie that had a little bit of stop motion in it, then it's less jarring when it ha- and it's one scene by itself that goes on pretty long that yeah. it's a that's stop motion. Yeah, you know what? That's a good point. I never thought of it like that, but that I agree. I agree. I think it probably would have worked a little better. But, you know, I, I'm all, I'm rooting for the underdog here. I I'm gl- I, you know, I think it's interesting that he did that. You know, I, I just find it so intriguing, but maybe it didn't work out for everybody. <laughs> you know, it is what it is, man. I I mean, it is, man. I, I could just imagine when you were first watching that film going, why would he do that? <laughs> you know, I actually didn't even know. I, like, I think I liked it more the first couple times I watched it. But as you know, and as the listeners should know by now, 
watching it now versus when I first seen it. This is now my fourth time watching Basket Case in three years, maybe. Uh, So I've really got to know this film. When you watch it for this show, you're watching it with a critical eye. Like at least I do. Like that's that's I'm I'm looking to critique the film. Um, so I'm maybe a little more hard than I would be if I'm just sitting back and enjoying it. Obviously, uh, I do love Basket Case, and I do think that you know it, it's like in terms of a B movie like cult film, it's like a masterpiece. Uh, when it comes to stuff like that, uh, mm-hmm. I truly Basket Case is one of my favorite horror films now, and it has been since like the last two two or three times I watched it. But however, I am going to point out some of the bad moves and the and the and the what I feel is flaws. Yeah, you know it's interesting, man. When you watch a film like this on Blu-ray, and the thing I have noted here is that you know watching these low-budget films, and you know the scar on the side of Dwayne. You seen that in like high def and like you know the transfer is pretty good, right? You just see how fake that really is. Oh yeah, yeah. The well, I don't think that the it kind of looks like Freddy's makeup in part six, where it's yeah, just like too rubbery looking. But it's I think the biggest problem with it is the um. It looks dry shading. to me. The yeah, shading it, is the colors are inconsistent from his skin tone to the yeah, fleshy yeah. stuff. It totally is. I agree with that hundred percent. Yeah, it looks it looks yeah the shading is definitely wrong, but it looks really dry. And just kind of, it just doesn't look proper. Like it looks like it's just kind of done purposely. You know, it doesn't look uh, natural, is what I'm trying yeah. to say at all, really. But yeah, and it's probably a lot to do. I mean, if you're watching this in 42nd Street back in 1982, you're probably not noticing that <laughs> at all. But the high def transfer, yeah, it it definitely sticks out, man. You know, my one of my biggest complaints with this film is that I wish that Frank had of, you know tried to focus on a little bit more gore because you know they they make Belial to be pretty vicious right he's got tendencies that are pretty nasty right mm-hmm. um and i just wish that he had have put in a little bit more gore in this film this is definitely probably the least gory film of the three i mean the third one probably is definitely the goriest i mean with the whole third act is just ridiculous um but yeah, this one doesn't really have a lot of gore, and it, it always kind of surprised me just based on how he is. You know, you kind of get these glimpses of his personality, and that he's just out to fuck. He doesn't give a shit, right? And there is moments where the the effects are pretty cool and stuff, but there's just not a lot of it. But you know that that is one kind of complaint that I do have with the film. I would like to see a little bit more of those type of effects. I mean, like we said, you know, low budget films. We've se- I've seen low budget films that are made for five thousand dollars today that have crazy effects. Yeah, you know, crazy um, effects, man. Like, but then again, that's pretty much what they focus on. Is- yeah, but but now also effects artists are more like everybody. It's like cool to be an effects artist now, and like there's schools and stuff back then. It was like you knew somebody. It was like an apprenticeship type thing, you know. You had to know somebody. I think the uh, I think the scene in this film that kind of solidifies the fact that I wanted to see, you know, the kill a little bit more is when the dude gets split by the saw blade. Yeah. You know, I would have loved to have seen that because all you see is the aftermath. I mean, you do see the the half the body kind of fall off and stuff, but you know, I would actually like to see those kill, like see that actually happen, but. I really I like the time that we spend with Belial and Dwayne and I really f- buy their relationship and I buy that like 
Bilal is obviously super jealous and thinks because doesn't they, want the intrusion of a female because he'll lose Dwayne, which then what does he have? He has nothing. Well, of course, because Dwayne's his his sole um, guardian, like not his guardian, but the person that looks after him, the, the person that feeds him and stuff. He's obviously going to be jealous of everybody. And they do capture that quite well. It's it's very prevalent in the story. Yes. It's very, very well done. It's very well done. Sure. I like the scene in the bar where he's talking to the black chick and and she's all and he's all she's all like what's in the basket and he's like it's my Siamese twin brother we were separated and he goes into this big long thing <laughs> dude I literally have that written down in quotes <laughs> I love that scene too man. Yeah, shit -based. Awesome. it's so great her the look on her face like yeah <laughs> so good yeah so you think you want to get into ratings um yeah, I guess, man. Uh, we're just not going to talk about the end at all. I guess we can talk about you it in, can. in part two. Eh, no, whatever. We can we can recap it in part two. But uh, I don't know. You can go first, man. Okay, so uh, like I said, I absolutely love Basket Case. I think that it's an awesome movie. Uh, I also think that it does have a lot of issues, uh, which, I, which I talked about. Um, they do affect my rating, of course, as, as any film – you know, anytime I rate a film, the, the issues definitely affect my rating. But uh, I feel like this is actually like a good movie. Like, I, I truly believe that minus the few scenes that I pointed out. And even with the ending, that was more of like a nitpick. I think that there's only, you know, the other two problems I've mentioned, I think were a little bit more of an issue, like the, uh, you know, stop motion and stuff. But I give Basket Case the same rating that I've given it multiple times, and that is an 8 out of 10. Um, yeah, man. I, I love the way this film develops, man. You know, it's kind of got this low-key, subtle uh, approach to a revenge flick, and I love that idea. I love the, you know, the aspect of the brothers having this kind of telepathic ESP relationship. I, I, I think it works. I, I really do like that, man. The one thing about this movie that I always find very interesting and I was trying to bring up earlier was – Hennelauder's ability to actually pace his films out quite well. You know, I mean, all three of these films are relatively about the same length long, and the pacing in the film is just really good, man. There's never, like, a moment where you're like, oh, my God, like, seriously. Um, oh, yeah, express, it, yeah, definitely in ba the basket, the first basket case, it is 100% super well-paced. Yeah, except the, for the, the, first, the Yeah, the first one's really good, man. It, it's just amazing. Love cinematography. Yeah, JP pointed out some points that... Uh, that you know i can probably agree with you know stop motion probably not the best choice in the world i don't think it's the worst thing ever i just think probably the the puppet effect probably would have been a lot better for the film um i do really agree with you know bringing up you know having like a little bit of a stop motion kind of glimpse earlier in the film if you're going to you know, have this big kind of drawn out scene you know with uh, Blyle and stuff I, I i that's a good point um this whole film is, is fantastic, man. I think one thing I like about this film is the sets, man, because they actually built a lot of these things. And I never noticed until I was watching it this time, which is kind of funny because I did notice while I was watching the film that some of the walls were kind of moving when they were, you know, going in from room to room and things like that. And and then after watching the documentary, I learned that they'd actually built the these sets. I actually thought it was shot like in a real hotel and things uh -huh. like that. And I was like, what the fuck? And they were actually moving. I was like, okay, what the fuck? And yeah, I learned that they actually built these things out of like, um, I don't even know, like 
some type of wall. I don't know. What, but anyways, it was moving. Yeah, they <laughs> so, actually, both of the people's rooms were used. It was one room that they just dressed differently. Yeah, I think they just kind of put like kind of sheets over these things. I don't know. But it was funny that I noticed it and I didn't know that. And then I saw it in the document. I thought it was kind of interesting. But, you know, typical low budget indie filmmaking. But, yeah, it is what it is. Um, but I am also going to go with the exact same rating. I'm going to give this film an 8 out of 10. Um it's definitely room for improvement, but I think it's a great first film for a uh, you know a document or a documentary filmmaker uh, for a filmmaker for his first film. Man, I think it's just great. Oh, it's dude, I would be so proud of myself if I created Basket Case. Big time, big time. They were made out of canvas. That's the word I was looking for. That's why they were moving. the ca- The walls were canvas. Oh yeah, <laughs> that's fucking amazing, man. So good. Yeah. So, 8 out of 10, uh, Basket Case. Good film, man. Really, really good film. So, moving into uh, Basket Case Part 2, which, you know, it doesn't really surprise me. It came out eight years after That's uh, crazy. <laughs> the original one. Um, you know, he had done, I guess, well, technically he had done two films before this one. Frank, or Frankenhooker wasn't released until after this one. Uh, he did Brain Damage, um, which is... We'll talk about that one next week. Um, and this one picks up exactly where the first one leaves off. And that's the cool thing about this trilogy is that the films are like one big ass long film. Straight up continuity. Awesome. So basically what we got here for the second one is uh, Dwayne and his and his basket bound mutant brother are taken in by a secret home for wayward freaks with journalists hot on their, with a journalist hot on their tail. Yeah. So in this one, you not only get one freak in Belial, you get a whole fucking school of them. I like that. I don't, I really do, man. I really, really like this approach, man. Um, really? Dude, this movie, dude. Oh, it's so fucking fun, man. I love it. And I love hearing Frank Henlotter talk about it. And, and it's, it's good stuff, man. Like, all the Hopefully designs. Hopefully can change my mind or something. I, I'm not here to change your mind, man. You have your own opinions. I'm not here to change your mind at all. I'll never try to change your mind. I'm going to tell you my opinions. Um, this movie is interesting because this is really nothing what you would ever expect from a sequel from basket case it's really strange so this movie picks up right after the first one where at the end of the first film uh him and his brother end up falling out of the hotel and they are assumed dead uh they have this scuffle and yeah they fall to the ground and they're they're and they they apparently die in the same position that they were born i i I really like that scene like belial looks like he's kind of connected to um you know to Dwayne. i I really like that but Mm -hmm. anyways this one picks up uh, right after that, um, right after that, and uh, yeah, so what happens is he wakes up in a hospital, and uh, they kind of break their way out of there, and she, he, they get approached by um, Granny Ruth, who basically she has like this coven, like I don't want to say coven, but she has like this house, she has like this huge freak family back at her place and she's heard about the, these brothers before so once they break out she just happens to be there she scoops them up and takes them back to her her place where you know they can go live in peace in this big freak family type deal and uh, 
Yeah, and that's basically your film <laughs> right there. Uh, I think it's kind of interesting that Frank Hennelotter, he he pointed out that he wanted all the freaks to be very non-human-like. You know, he wanted them to be, like, very kind of ridiculous designs. And, like, you know, these were Did he say why he wanted to do that? Because he didn't want them to resemble humans. Did he say all. why he didn't want them to? Because he didn't want it to be offensive. Oh, uh, that... He didn't... So that's why that's why the freaks in this film look so ridiculous and over the top. I mean, you know, what? I actually heard him talk about that a little bit too. Also for the MPAA because they were being really dicks in, around this era. Yeah, yeah. The, it, it's actually kind of funny because he had filmed. Uh, we talked, you know, Frank and Hooker just before this, and they like really got on his ass about that film. They started butchering the fucking shit out of the film. And, you know, he kind of took a chance with this one. He, he, he gave it to him pretty gory and all that type of stuff. And they kind of, they kind of shunned it through because they were so worried about Frankenhooker at the time. I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I, I also read that, um, that because it was like more of a silly gore, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that like, I think that, that also helped it. Um, they were, there's a special, there's actually a special feature on the synapse, I believe release of this, that, that has the makeup effects i watched it i think it has the makeup effects team and they talk about like um how they were kind of making it a little more silly so that it, the mpaa wouldn't chop it to bits I, they um, didn't go into that on the document like they talk about the effects and like the designs they even talked to the effects artist uh about his creations and stuff and you know like why he went with those and like how he did it and stuff but they didn't really talk about like how it was supposed to be super silly it was just he just wanted them not to resemble like a human mm-hmm. you know straight up because he didn't want it to be offensive it was it was kind of more of like a fun thing for him you know yeah i honestly dude well, i think it's a oh, no, the bad word, move the, the word he used was fantasy he wanted the film to be not like a straight up horror oh, yeah it definitely feels like a fantasy movie yeah for and, sure and that's what he wanted. He wanted to be like straight up fantasy, just kind of have fun with these characters and just kind of explore this world that maybe people don't know about that exists, which is the what's that the, movie the with Fred family. Savage where there's monsters under little, his bed and shit. Little monsters. It reminds me of that. Yeah. Yeah, it does actually. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that's kind of one of my beefs with this film is like tonally. I think it's such a fucking step down from the first film that it just it, it annoyed me. And well, it's 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 a hundred percent intended like that though too. It's not like he was trying to make the first, and and you know, and he was completely trying not to do that first film again. Yeah, see that just like even if it is intended, like I still just think it's a bad choice. I don't think so, man. I you know I I think it's actually quite fun because like what I like to see in a sequel is a continuation of the first film, and since they. Do literally continue the first film. Oh, it's straight up continuity, yeah. yeah. Then it's different if you have a completely different story. But because you're telling the same story and you change everything, that's annoying to me because like it's like, no, like now but then just do something else. Do something with different characters. Like why why are you taking the characters that we know and the relationships that you built already and then changing everything? I didn't like that, dude. Like it it, it was like very frustrating to me because even the dynamic between for one, Dwayne's performance is way worse than it was in the first film. I feel like he was misguided and he was kind of all over the place with it. 
um, didn't really know which way to go with the character because everything had changed and everything was so different now. I feel like the relationship with him and Bilal was like all twisted now and it was it was kind of just <clears throat> but it's supposed to be he's supposed to be a little more on edge because now he's like out of the big city and he's in this new area where he's not really supposed to be and he doesn't really know what the hell's going on or where they're going to going to be going. He's like, okay, yeah, but I'm, now, if now I'm you just kind of explain things. the first film. He's in a new place where he hasn't been before. He doesn't know where no, he's no, no, going. But, the, but no, but there was actually a point to the first film. Like, yeah, he was a naive person in the first film, but there was still a point. They were there ultimately to get revenge on these doctors that did them harm. Well, now there is they've kind of accomplished, you know, what they were supposed to do. Now they've been taken away technically you know by this or taken in by this this granny ruth but now they're in this whole different world and the reason why his character is kind of high strong and he's a little different and stuff is because he's it's almost like he's trying to what is he trying to do he's almost trying to he's trying to accept that maybe this is who he is you know because he never really sees himself as a freak himself because he always sees belial as the freak but then he's kind of accepted as one of them and it's kind of noted too. It's like, well, you know, you actually are kind of a freak yourself mm-hmm. because you are still half a Belial. And he's trying to come to grips with being, oh, wait a minute, I actually am part of Belial, you know. And, and that's why he's so confused, and that's why yeah, his that was that kind was of a, that was an arc for him. But I honestly, yeah. I feel like it was that mm-hmm. was that was to me that was just sort of like like a mini arc like i I don't know like it didn't seem like that it didn't seem like the first part of the movie was him figuring that all out it just seemed like by the end of it it's like oh that also you're a freak well the story the story in the second film isn't very strong though to be honest like it's not very strong so it is just a lot of introduction you know you find yourself in the first 45 minutes of the film being introduced to not only granny ruth but to the girl and all the other freaks and what they do and and what granny Ruth is about and, you know, how she's kind of, you know, segregated these freaks into this area so they can live like a normal life. It's it, there really isn't a lot of story going on. You know, there's this character development with, with Dwayne, um, you know, kind of just kind of reacting to what he's taking in, in his new setting, in his new surroundings. Yeah, but to me, it's like, he's That's not all really is. reacting that much. Well, I, I think it's because there's, uh, very sub- are, you talk- are you talking about his performance in general or just I feel like both the character direction that the characters took it in and his performance itself like I don't blame him as an actor because I feel like he was sort of like he honestly didn't know like I feel like th- like he was trying to play the character a bunch of different ways because he didn't really know how he was supposed to play him because the story is so different. I feel like in the first film he knew exactly what his character's story was. Yeah, you know what I, I, I can see that. I can totally see that. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Um, but, you know, I, like there's certain things that I did like about it. Like if you take a step back and you disassociate it from the first film, like it's a cool little like like silly, like creepy, like not not creepy, but like creaturey, like just weirdo stuff. Well, know, this I, is this is precisely why I watched the films the way I did. I watched uh, Basket Case on Tuesday. And I only watched the first one specifically because I'd watched a documentary and I was actually planning on watching part two right after. And then when they said that they've basically done pre-production on part two and part three together, they basically kind of did those films together as one. Oh, they definitely feel like that. Yeah. And well, yeah, the tone and the feel and the look, everything about those two films is like identical. It's crazy. Uh-huh. Um and and so and when they kind of got that into my head, I was like, you know, fuck it. I'm going to leave part one. 
tonight I'm going to watch part two and part three tomorrow. So I watched part two and three as one. And it just, it was just like this continuation, but this like, you know, total different feel, but you know, the rest of the story kind of deal. So I I kind of took it like like that. I felt, I felt like I, um, I watched part one and then, uh, I popped basket case two in and I watched like 10 minutes of it and then I waited and then it was like two days later when I watched Basket Case 2 and then I watched <laughs> Going Basket back Case to me 3 saying, today. Who, who the fuck watches 20 minutes of a film and shuts it off? <laughs> well, I fell asleep and, and shut it no, off. No, I, I just... um, but no, seriously, like um, one of the other issues that I have with this one, man, is it's just like I don't give a fuck about the granny and the daughter and all these creature other people. Like they're way too involved here. Like – like that story, I don't care about her. What is she even doing? Like her whole arc is that she ha- wants to have a place for freaks, and that is there anything else there? She's just a godsend, man. To but that she's because- so involved in the film for for that little for that little story right there. She's way too involved in the film. Mm-hmm. But I mean, you you learn you learn later that she has a freak of her own, and that's kind of the reason why she has this this kind of this home for the freaks. Like she has a son of her own. That's this freak. Uh-huh. So she feels shitty, man. She feels shitty and she doesn't want them to be, you know, ostracized in the world and, you know, kind of shunned out and, you know, put them together, let them live their lives like this and they'll be happy. You know, that's her only role. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what she's there to do. She's just there to make them happy and yeah. nothing else. There's really not a lot to her character, even though, which is why it's problematic when she's such a, fucking mainstay in the plot and the story and she's always on the screen yeah because she's she's really trying to like you know focus on Dwayne and Belial kind of heal that or mend that relationship and and kind of control Belial at the same time because he's you know obviously off the wall a little bit and and at this point Dwayne's mentality is all fucked up too because he's confused he doesn't know where the hell if he should break off or he should go this way or that and See, there's these minor kind of subtle things I feel things like where... his performance is that of Pamela Springsteen in Sleepaway Camp 2, where <laughs> it just feels like the character was just, like, kind of rolling with whatever. Like, just – it was, like, kind of, like – it was just – I don't know. Like, they, they feel, like, very similar. It's almost like breaking the third wall or something. Like, it almost feels like it's uh, Dwayne is, like – like, he's, like, aware that he's, yeah. like yeah. – I don't know. It, it's It's a – freaking weird performance man it is man it, it, it is strange but i don't find it as strange as part three because i actually have you know noted for part three that his performance is so over the top and just crazy but you know it's supposed to be a little crazy because of i might be through. i might be mix mission them together honestly because like yeah it feels like one long movie that part two and part three are yeah like this part three part three basically when he's like in the straight jacket and they're going on the uh, yeah, like when he's looking out the butt, yeah, he it, that that's more no. what I'm thinking of. Oh yeah, but, yeah, he, no, literally, I have it written down. I'll even show you that his performance in part three is insanely over the top. But he's actually it, it does make a little bit of sense because he is supposed to be completely insane at this point, you know, kind of crazy and stuff. But it is it is a little on edge for the viewer when you watch. You're like, eh, I don't know if I'm buying that in yeah. buying into that at all. The, so the, yeah, the I best mean, scene I, in Basket Case Two is when <laughs> when they go to that like freak show carnival and that dude's like <laughs> he answers he's all sleeping and shit and he answers his phone and he's like yeah yeah i got i got the uh bradley twins here you know one of them <laughs> like i love that whole scene like that <laughs> shit was actually funny to me i was laughing at that yeah yeah <laughs> yeah I, I don't know man this film right here i mean you can tell that the budget is completely elevated there's a, like belial looks 
amazing in this film. Like they did such a good job with the animatronics, you know, for even like 1990. Like I think it's it's fantastic, man. Really good. There's even a couple scenes in this film that are close up shots. I don't know if you noticed, but they used a real face as Blau. Yeah, yeah. So when it cuts to that. Man, dude, is that ever freaky, man? I, I actually burst out laughing one time. I was like, fuck, is that ever creepy, man? He, he kind of reminds me of the head from Head of the Family in this one, honestly. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, it does, actually. That's a good note. That's a good note. But fuck me, man. If it didn't happen a couple times in the film, like I was, I kept looking at him going, damn, that is fucking <laughs> this is freaky looking. I don't know. There's something about it. Just kept, it's probably the transfer because the Blu-ray transfer is so amazing on on part two and three it's like unbelievable everyone's got to see these films on blu-ray um, it's so just crazy one of, one of the things that um like you know obviously i said that i re- really didn't like the tone change in the films like that that that's just my number one complaint 100 percent. like is this the first time you've seen the sequels yeah oh, okay yeah. yeah um but honestly like the freaks Though to me, like they look cool as if like, oh, like, hey, look at this like thing. This is pretty cool. But like for like movie characters, like they all don't look good to me. Like they look cool, yeah. but they don't look good. They they look rubber. Like all of them look rubber. All yeah. of them look fake and like you know. I don't, I don't know. Like, like they don't look like real. You know, but- biological matter. I I honestly think it was intended though because they he didn't want like. Didn't want it to look human. He wanted it to look so fantasy. I mean, when I think of fantasy, I think of cartoon. You know, and seeing something like that, it's just like if you're gonna have a design where some dude has this huge like circle of moon on his face, like if you make that shit look real, it's just like in, in that type of tone. I don't think it works at all. I think uh-huh. the look, and you know, even kind of making it kind of look, you know, semi fake. I mean, you can tell these are rubber, these are rubber heads, and you know, plasters, whatever. Um, I think it fits the tone because the tone is not serious at all in this film. It is not serious at all. I mean, I mean, it even gets worse in part three with, you know, musical scenes, <laughs> things like that. Right. Uh, but uh, I don't know, man. I, I honestly, you know, th- the thing about the freaks in this um, or the unique people or how, whatever they refer to. I don't even think they call them freaks. They call them like unique or whatever. Um, they don't really have much identities at all except for visual in the film and, and see i wish that if we were gonna do this sort of like fantasy world of freaks thing like let's spend some time getting to know the freaks and not the old woman who nobody cares about like mm-hmm. i that was really one of the things that i i 100 percent thought of the whole, whole time while watching both of these two i was like i was like okay so you have these like unique ass looking characters and when you introduce them you say like oh this one can sing and stuff and then nothing and for yep. the next two movies, they're so prevalent, they're so in your face, yet you don't know anything about them. Let's give uh, give up. I on, mean, on I, this nonsensical plot that you're doing, and like, let's focus on like you set up this fantasy world. Let's do that, Frank Henenlotter. Let's I not that, focus on this other shit. I just think that you know, bringing in the the freaks was just more of a visual thing. I mean, it was. The, I don't think the intent was ever to focus on the actual freaks. It was still about Dwayne and, and Blyle. But it's and, not though. This film ain't even about that, really. I mean, it, it kind of technically is. I mean, it's really trying to mend them and stuff. And it's just they're just set. Their characters are just kind of put into this new re, this new world. Their new reality is this freak world. You know, that's what their surrounding is. That's their setting. But technically, the story is still focusing on them. They just have a meteor, you know, in um, 
in Granny Ruth. You know, that's what it is. She is the, oh, she's like the psychologist. She's the doctor. She's the mother. She's the, uh, she's the caretaker. She's everything to them. That's kind of where she, that's what her stance is. You know, I, I mean, that's just the way I see it. And I mean, and it makes sense. But what because- I'm saying is I'm not saying that like the very little story that's in this film isn't about them. It's that we're not, that's not what we're seeing. We're seeing like, like you said, this like mediating, like how many scenes even have Belial and what's fucking Dwayne together? Like we're seeing all this shit with these freaks. We're seeing Dwayne's love interest, who honestly I could care less about in this one. Way, yeah, way yeah. less than the first one. Honestly, man, that that's one thing I, I hate about this film too, is that whole love interest thing. I think it's complete garbage besides does- the reveal. Like the reveal was cool. <laughs> like and it made it yeah. kind of worth it. Yeah. Because I mean, that was but- kind of cool. But like, Dude, seriously, like this film, like plot wise, is like embarrassing compared to the first one. Exactly. It, it, I mean, compared to, but I mean, you kind of have to look at it just at it as this film. I mean, it was intended to be something completely different. Um, I mean, you can see it. I mean, right away. I mean, the film. Yeah, is, uh, totally and I understand that it was intended, dude. But like, seriously, the, like that yeah, was a bad. But they, move. but they show you right in the very first scene of the film. In the very first shot of the film is they show the reporter on the new on, uh, you know, in Times Square, which is, you know, 42nd Street, you know, and it's kind of funny because, you know, this is 1990. It was all cleaned up by then. There was no 42nd Street anymore. I thought it was kind of interesting how it was like, okay, this is the new reality, you know, and then we're going to take it over here. But even like, I love that. I think that's a really good contrast. I just thought that there was going to be. Um, Okay. Like. The reporter stuff like that goes nowhere really. Like I don't know, man. It's just like I was. It. I just think it's a mess. It's a mess of a movie. Well, I mean, yeah, the script is not strong at all. And you know, and to be honest, there's a lot of moments in this film where there's a lot of downtime. Like in the first film, the pacing is really, really good. This one has actually pretty shit pacing, and it does have a really shitty subplot, man. With you know, of course, there's always a fucking reporter that's all about the money and doesn't give a shit about exploiting these freaks or whatever happens to these freaks. Yeah, she's a fucking bitch. She's a fucking cunt, and she also gets what she fucking deserves. But she don't even feel like that much of an evil. Like she doesn't even like the character is. But they literally, but they literally have a conversation, uh, that bitch with her boss, and it's just like, "How much you gonna pay me?" There's literally a line that says, "How much you gonna pay me?" Yeah, but it's also like, it's like mustache twirly, like evil, like it's not serious, like it's like fucking. I can't even not like her because it's like you're not even a real. It's not even real. Well, Uh, I mean, you, 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 yeah, I cannot like her. I mean, I actually hate her because she's about. She's trying. She doesn't give a shit about if she you know, exposes these freaks or what happens to these freaks at all. She doesn't give yeah. a shit. So they're, they're but it's, to me like, like that comes yes. like, it's hard to really get behind these silly looking things that aren't even freaks. They're like rubber. Yeah. But this is, this you also really got to use your imagination in this one, man. <laughs> I know, but this also includes Dwayne and Belial, which we do know. This also yeah, includes but it feels it, like I don't know the like because I feel like they're they, on the run. They're they technically on the run now because they escaped from blah, blah, blah. And you know, that's the whole thing, right? And uh, yeah, the story is, I, I totally understand. We agree. It's weak. It, let it's let totally, me ask it's you this. Totally weak sauce. But if you, if you were going, if I was like, Hey, have you ever seen basket case two? And you're like, yeah, it's pretty good. Like what, what are like some key points of positives that you would give me in this film? But I guess it's all, it's, it's all de- depending on what you like though, man. Like I like the fact that this film went 
a little cartoony and and uh, you know took the fantasy route. I mean, if you're you might if Why? you want it doesn't it, even do it good though. It doesn't even do good fantasy and cartoony. I disagree. I think it does it good. I think it exactly good. what Frank Henenlotter set out to do is what he accomplished. You know, this it was supposed to be a silly, goofy film that you know wasn't full of like one-liners and all that type of bullshit. This I've was just seen silly, good, goofy, and I like. I don't know, man. I, I, but this I, is also your personal taste, though, right? Because, I mean, I think it works. I mean, this one is silly and goofy, but it's not silly and goofy at the same time, if you know what I'm saying. There's not, like, a lot of stupid one-liners and just, like, retarded moments and, and things like that. It just has – it has visually it's silly and goofy. It has this whole fantasy world about it that I think it's cool because, I mean, really, you can't, re- you can't remake the first film. You're not going to capture that. You have to take a different route. No, I think taking a completely different route is a good thing. And, and, you know, there's a million different ways you can go with than, than this. Yeah, sure. I mean, I'm sure there can't. I'm sure there is. But we're not talking about the, that. We're talking about this film. Right. So I don't know. I mean, okay. Besides I mean, that this, it's silly this, and goofy and fun, what else? What else is good about this film? Honestly, I think there's a there's a lot of really good um, cinematography in the film is great again. I mean, again, he knows how to edit films. I really enjoy the editing in this film, especially in towards the end. Uh, <laughs> the effects are better in this film. That That's, you know, kind of a bonus. But, you know, but all that said, though, it still is a very, very basic film. It's a very basic film that I find that if you're looking for something completely different than the first film, why not do this? Yeah. I agree with it, man. I agree with it, man. I mean, I just, the last thing in the world I would want to see, and I would tell this to someone, I'd be like, hey, if you like the first basket case, the second one is completely different in tone, look, uh, story, everything. It's just, it's just, you know, it's not the same. It has, it's just full of like dark humor is what it is. You know, it's like I said, it's not overly, you know, like clown silly. It's just full of dark humor. There's a lot of dark humor scenes in this film that are very subtle. And I like that about it. I thought it was fun. So I'm a big fan of subtle dark humor, man. I think that's great. It's the second film tonight I talked yeah. about with, with subtle dark humor is great. I'm, I'm I mean, a big fan of it, too. And, you know, I, I it kind of missed a mark on this one for me personally. Um, I didn't I, like I said, that one scene I found pretty funny. And then the reveal of like what was going on with that w- one chick and her sort of future like that. Yeah. That was funny. And then like mostly nothing else I, was funny i i really the one thing i really do hate about this film though is you know is the sub is the subplot with the with the reporter man i wish they had to come up with something a little bit different you know just because it is such a cliche mm-hmm. you know it's just such a cliche and i think that's the biggest downfall for this film because the having such a cliched uh you know storyline like that just creates a lot of downtime it creates such a slow film because it cuts back into it and you're just like uh my God, like there is a lot of downtime in this film, which is kind of unfortunate because, yeah, because the first one doesn't have any. One of the things about sequels that that like I care about usually is sometimes I do like to see something different. Like if you do like Chainsaw 2, which is kind of you can compare it directly to this film in terms of like a tonal shift. Uh, but most of the time I like continuations of characters, especially if it's the same characters like Psycho 2 or Scream 2 or a- anything like that. Like I-, I like the I don't like the films to feel like they're completely different if you're going to be 
continuing stories. Um, so, I, I mean, right away, like, that was a huge negative to me. But if you do kind of remove it from the first film... Um, Which I think you have to in those cases, man. Yeah, and it is hard, though, because you are following, like, a direct... Uh, linear timeline oh i i understand it's got to be it's like it's like a shock to the system you know you go from one tone and it's all like straight continuity to this tone you're like what the fuck i just i don't feel like a shock in this film man i i i really don't i feel like like people wanted to see basket case and he was just like okay i guess i'll do another basket case film um because i haven't really done much since the first basket case um, I don't no, this know. was this was like an honest to god thing though. Like he he did this film, you know, because he wanted to make the film. Like he t- literally talks about it, man. And he's like quite proud of this. He was like he really enjoys this film. He doesn't really care for part three so much, but he really enjoys. That's this funny because part three is better. He actually says that it's pretty bad. <laughs> he's like he even says in the documentary, he's like I don't even understand what I was thinking with doing a musical piece in the middle of the film on a fucking it fits bus more than anything in this movie because at least that one is like uh, okay 100 percent now we're going no way no way that's just like having any like a musical piece like just i don't know man <laughs> I, have, I've, I always hate random musical pieces in films if you're gonna make a musical make the whole fucking thing a musical uh, don't have random musicals shit. scenes in films I think anyway it's i don't know man i i i i there's there's stuff on, that man. I like about it, but th- this on, movie man. sucks, dude. No, I don't think so, man. I, I think there's a lot of flaws in this, and I think that Dwayne falling in love again is just so damn cliched again. It has a lot of cliches. In I this don't film. think it becomes super cliche until the third one. Then I'm like, oh, yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, but like, fuck, man. It's like, like you know, the same way, too, like all three times. It's just like, No, oh, I know Dwayne falling in love. No, <laughs> I, I even literally have written on Dwayne falling in love. What a fucking cliche. Um, but it's just like the same format, right? But honestly, the one of the biggest highlights of this film and for me is Belial's sex scene is absolutely fucking hilarious in this film. I, I started pissing myself <laughs> laughing watching this shit again. I know I, you just don't have the sense of humor, I guess, to get it. But I'm fucking pissing myself at this because it's so ridiculous. It was right. like, Where it the was fuck like is this kinda... dick? He doesn't have a dick. <laughs> like, how is he humping, man? It's like so ridiculous. I'm watching this going, fuck, I forgot how fucking stupid this was. It's so funny. Um, yeah, this this one to me, it's like, I, I don't know. I I was, I maybe I was just expecting something different, which is definitely partially why I'm so negative on this one because yeah, I, was, I, 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 I wanted something different. I wanted, well, not something. I wanted something the same. Like, I wanted a sequel to basket case not this uh and i was i was i was just expecting a little more from the story. Potter. i really it's was just, like this is ba- there's this is bad on many levels like in terms of filmmaking like yeah okay the cinematography is good the directing uh in terms of like the what's on the screen uh film wise like like shot wise is decent uh but the the pacing the storytelling the script the the pointless characters the uh you know all over the place direction of the characters like it's it's not very good Mm -hmm. and uh i i you know i it hurts me to say that a little bit because i really like frank hennenlotter when i see him in interviews like i just i freaking love that guy uh and i do and it does hurt me to say that but i I honestly think this is a bad movie Hmm. yeah interesting man um I don't I, honestly, man. Story wise, 
yeah, this movie stinks. The the story in this film is just not great. Like I, I've never been a fan of it, but I find it ultra fun. I really do. I find it a lot of fun. And I think that uh, there's a lot of well-executed scenes, man. I love the scene in the bar where fucking Belial attacks the publisher in that scene, man. And they have that big fucking battle like through the door and like in the back room and shit. I love that scene, man. It's great. It's bloody. It's it's well executed. Like there's there's good moments in this film. Um, I hate the the subplot in this film sucks too, but uh, I mean, all in all, the the whole film is ridiculous. But I mean, I guess I I can have fun with shit like this because I enjoy things like this, man. I really do. I, I enjoy like things like this. If this film was called like like Freak Show or something, I'd be like, oh, this is like a fun, silly little movie. But it's Basket Case 2. It's a fucking sequel to an awesome movie. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I just, I when I'm watching the film, I'm not thinking of part one at all. I'm just taking this But it's a continuation, part... so it's, it like, that's the problem with it. Is like I know, but it's like the next day, right? Like, you can't, it's not the same day. You know, it's, it's Basket more, Case is Friday, this is Saturday. Okay. <laughs> You know, it's like, I don't know, man. It's just, it works for me because I, I, the world is different in basket case two than basket case one. Yeah. I mean, I can have fun with shit like this. I know it's, it's not a great film, man. I just really wish that they just hadn't, Frank and Lauder is a lot better than, you know, cliches, <laughs> you know, yeah. in my opinion, especially when you watch fucking like brain damage, man, man, that shit's good. Really, really good. Really interesting script. But, uh, I don't know, man. Just a lot of cliches and it's a lot of the whole moments. time I was watching this, I kept thinking of the Freaks episode in South Park where Butters has balls on his chin, <laughs> yeah. and like it's like lobster boy. You don't want to know what we did to him. <laughs> <laughs> Turned yeah. out he was a real lobster. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, but you want to get into ratings on this one? <laughs> yeah. Uh, go ahead, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna you go first this time. All right, man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've stated, man, this this movie is, you know, story-wise, uh, I just find it completely – it's ridiculous. Uh, too many cliches in this film. Um, but there is enough fun scenes in this film I think that is worth the watch. I mean, if you can take uh, an awesome film and, you know, accept a silly kind of goofy, uh, dark-humored, ridiculous fantasy sequel – uh, for what it is, I think that you might have a little bit of fun with this. Um, there is a lot of problems with this, man. Uh, I do agree with a little bit of the direction. Is off at times, man, but it's shot so well, man. Some of the, the scenes are executed so well, edited well. Um, and the music's actually pretty interesting in this film, too. It's strange. The music in this film is really, really strange. Uh, but, um, you know, overall, man, not the best film in the world. I don't think it's you know, the worst thing I've ever seen in my life, but I'm going to give it a five and a half out of five out of 10. So thank God I, I was going to shit my pants if it was like a eight or something. <laughs> no, no, uh, there's, so, you know me, man, I've always stated, man, I, I'm not a big fan of like cliches and shit. Uh-huh. Like I just, I, it brings down shit big time, but honestly, this film's worth to watch just for the fucking bar scene. <laughs> Shit's fun. Okay. So my rating for this film is, uh, it's one that I debated on for a little while and I tried to disconnect myself from the first film, but it's hard to do in a film that's called Bass Case 2 and it starts up right where the last one left off. But if I am taking it for what it is and it is this weird, bizarro fantasy horror comedy, it's kind of cool. And like Mood says, you will have a little bit of fun. 
and I stress little bit of fun. It's debatable. Um, <laughs> you said it yourself, bro. You said a little <laughs> bit of fun. <laughs> uh, so, um, you know, honestly, I think it. I think it kind of sucks as a sequel. Hundred percent. It's a shitty ass sequel, but as its own thing, it's just an average movie. Give it a five out of ten. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you were going to come in way lower. I mean, I, I mean, thought obvi- I was too. Obviously, I know this. I mean, there's just a lot. Of, I don't know why. You know, if you're going to have a film eight years after the fact, you know, at least put a little more effort. If you're going to make a goofy script like this, at least kind of fill out that goofy script. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, just you know. I, what I'm saying is just get rid of the goddamn cliches. Dwayne falling in love again. Fuck off. The stupid. I mean, we've seen the, uh, you know, the reporter story a million fucking times. Infiltrating. And I, I like. I like what you said though. The twisty mustache. <laughs> <laughs> the twirly mustache. That's the twirly. That's good, man. I like. That. Yeah. Um. But you know, it's like the. I and it, of course, of course, like honestly, if I was like, hey, uh, let me like Basket Case Two doesn't exist, like. Oh, I got an idea. Belial meets another freak that's like him and they have little Belials. Like that's something I would say in like passing as like not a filmmaker as like like that's like the be- best like short idea I could come up with. Like that's not even that complex. Like that's a pretty damn basic <laughs> idea that you would think that it would go next. <laughs> <laughs> Ah, shit, that's funny. All right, let's go into Basket Case 3 from 1991. Also written and directed by Frank Henenlotter, but also written by Robert Martin. Um, so one thing I wanted to mention previously, Moods, and my bad. Do you know who like, Robert Martin is? No. I believe he was the old chief editor for Fangoria magazine. Did not know that. Yeah. So Beverly Bonner was had a cameo at the beginning of Basket Case 2, which I thought was really cool um, because she was uh, – well, she, she was on the news. Yeah. Apparently she's in this one as well, but she plays a different character and I didn't like that. I didn't even see her though. I missed her. Hmm. <laughs> Shit. I don't know. Did you miss her too? I might have. Yep. Okay. Shit. Yeah. I don't know which one – she played a fast food worker. Huh. Yeah, may- maybe. Fuck. Matt, when she when when Grandma Ruth goes into the place and orders like for like 10 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Just throwing out random numbers like like 16 cheeseburgers, 24 chicken burgers. I'm like, what the fuck's with the numbers? Okay. So, even- so let's go into the plot on this one. Dwayne recovers from his delusional breakdown to find his freakish basket-bound brother, Belial will soon become a father, but not everything is joyous as the once tight-knit brothers no longer seem to trust each other. So right away, I got to say in this one, I find that maybe I was a little bit more used to it by now, but I, I think I enjoyed this one a little bit more than the second one. Uh, one of the things that I, I think it has all of the same problems as the first or er, er, the second film uh, in terms of li- literally almost everything that I mentioned in the second film but I also find that the well, it's practically it's it it feels in it's like the exact same film as part two, yeah. hence them being done at like the exact same time kind of thing. So it's very yeah. it's very noticeable. So um, I felt like the relationship between Belial and um, Dwayne was even more all over the place and just like 
just I don't know. I just don't think it was developed nicely. Well, there almost isn't one. You know, it's like, you know, the end of part two where he decides that he's going to go fucking insane. And he (laughs) thinks that, you know, the only way to kind of resolve his issues with his brother is to to attach him back to his son. Which honestly isn't that like terrible of an idea. You know, I I really I'd like to see man. It looked good, though. Yeah, I mean, it did. Like, I, I was, you know what? I was actually, um, no, that's actually, never mind. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, that, I, I thought that that looked pretty cool. Like, he grabbed a big yeah. sewing needle and, or like a knitting needle and just started jabbing him in there. Oh, yeah. He sold that motherfucker back on there. So, part three, Dwayne wakes up in a, well, and he's like, well, he's actually in grandma. He's in Granny Ruth's house, but she's got this padded room, of course, and he's in a straitjacket. And of course, Blyle is not attached to him. They detached him, and he's like full blown insane. <laughs> now yeah. he's like crazy, and you know, and that's what I was referring to when we were talking about part two is his performance in this one. It's like so over the top. It's understandable where he's trying to come from because he's supposed to be pretty crazy, pretty agitated. He doesn't really understand what the hell just happened to him kind of thing. I think he's lost all touch with reality kind of deal. Um, and that's ex- essentially what it is. Um, I don't know, man. This this movie, this one really kind of grits on me, man. Um, you know, I understand the end of part two, you know, the uh, Blyle has some sex, gets a uh, girl pregnant, and this one, he's he's having some fucking babies. And so basically what they have to do is they have to travel because Granny Ruth knows this uh, this doctor down in the deep south that, you know, obviously has accepted their freak reality and things like that to go give birth to these babies and stuff. Um, <laughs> the whole idea is just ridiculous, ridiculous. And actually, the guy from Fangoria, like he pretty much wrote this film. It was, you know, it was kind of mostly him. Hennelotter had this idea uh, with the, what they kind of went off the, the baby thing and then. He just kind of rolled with it, and he kind of wrote like pretty much everything. It's just, I don't know. I find the humor in this film to be completely different because it's totally someone else penning it. You notice that there's a lot of different type of jokes, and yeah. you know the third act in this. Film I thought they were fun. actually a little bit funnier, though. Well, it's funny because you know they're, when they're interviewing the guy on the documentary, he goes, "Yeah, most people seem to really hate part three because of the comedy," uh, and. It's probably because I have a really bad sense of humor and I only find this shit funny. (laughs) I just thought that was hilarious. But to be honest, I had a lot of laughs in this film. I think the third act is probably the best and the goriest in like, you know, the whole trilogy kind of thing. Yeah, I I like the third act in this one. But I think honest Um, to God, leading up to this, leading up to that, though, it's just a lot of over the top acting. You have a lot of the same shit that's going on in the first. There's just a lot of development. Uh, The freaks are around. They're in this bus, which is so ridiculous because there's a lot of scenes that are filmed inside this bus. And of course, it's all black and blacked out with uh, sheets and stuff. So you can't see the freaks and stuff. And I don't know, man, I I just find it kind of ridiculous that. You know, they, they spent so much time with that. And then to top it off, you know, they're traveling down to the deep south so Belial's girlfriend can give birth. And also it breaks in a fucking musical. See, I'm not a big fan of this at all. I'm not a big fan. I think it's completely out of place and it doesn't work. I think there's no need to have that in there. If you just made the film without that, it w- we wouldn't be talking about it, obviously. But I don't yeah. think it works. Well, at see, all I, I don't like I hate musical scenes but it's a tone shift even in this odd tone film 
it's like a tour. It, it goes into this whole kind of Broadway thing, which is kind of ironic in a way, you know, because these New York films and stuff like that. And it goes into this Broadway type thing. And I get it. But at the same time, I really don't get it. I don't well, understand. I, I just feel like to me that like once that happens, it really just sets its like it really just like hammers in the fact that like oh this is a hundred percent like an unserious movie that is completely ridiculous. This was like the second film. Yeah. It seemed like you know connecting with the first film so you know directly. It felt like it was you know it still had parts of that with it, and it was ridiculous and over the top. When this one is just like from the get go. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I don't know. You're right. I mean, honestly, like I, if I, I was editing it, I would like take that out for sure. <laughs> yeah. I, I've never understood what the deal was with that. It's always bugged me, man. I remember watching this film, you know, way back in the, like when it first came out and being like young and going, what the fuck is with the musical scene? It's like the only like rewatching this film. I hadn't watched it in well, a few years anyways. And it was like the one thing I remembered about Basket Case 3 was the musical scene in the bus. So it sticks in your mind, but not for a good reason. Because I really don't like it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? It's just one of those things. It's like, fuck, man. You got to relive that shit again? Ugh. But I think it's interesting because the song that they sing, they actually went out and got the rights to it. And he I, he sold them the rights to the song for like a dollar. The guy <laughs> that, you know, it, it's kind of cool. Kind of a cool story. But uh, uh, so... One of the things I actually do really like about this one is the birthing scene. I was eating a hoagie while oh watching my. it, and I was like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> now, interesting story about the birth scene, actually. They go into it. Now, the guy that's holding the camera filming the birth scene, he's this like comedic actor or whatever. And I guess what happened when they were filming this scene is um, he was supposed to deliver a line. His very first line, I don't remember what it was, but he fucked it up. And instead of Frank Henenlotter cutting, he just kept it rolling. And there's actually, I think they cut out the scene where he looks over at Henenlotter and he doesn't say cut. So he, he literally started to panic in that scene. And they filmed that whole scene. That whole scene is completely improv. You know, when he's counting all the babies, he's going one <laughs> and he's doing all this shit. Every single scene or line that in, you know, of film of, you know, real film there is all improv. That's because crazy. Frank Henenlotter never cut and he made the guy just act out and he was fucking freaking out. He, like, he's naturally just nervous as shit in that scene. I think it's just really brilliant. It, you know, not knowing that before I would have been like, oh, OK, you know, like I was just totally overacting or whatever. But knowing that story, you know, I was like, that's really fucking cool, man. That's really cool. Probably one of the best scenes in the film, to be honest. I just I love how she gives birth to 12 little Belials. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's so ridiculous it's so ridiculous man. yeah but see like that's where that's where i kind of like this one a little bit more than the second one is like by this point like i'm okay with the fact that the third one is ridiculous because hell the second one was ridiculous mm -hmm, um mm -hmm. so it's slightly different than the second yeah. one being ridiculous when the first one wasn't mm -hmm. um and the Bel like i was with the belial babies like i was like these things are fucking dope it's like I 101 know. dalmatians and shit Another interesting thing. Did you notice the product placement in the film at all? Uh, what was it? Jolt Cola. I didn't. Didn't notice that. So the story is with the Jolt Cola is that, that real? Uh, Jolt Cola yeah, Jolt, is real? Yeah, Jolt, Jolt Cola is real. It just, it, is that the Canadian original, soda or what? No, no, that's an American thing. But the, the thing was, um, 
what Joel Cola back in the day, they, they have it on the shelves again, but it has way less caffeine. But back in the day, it used to be like stacked with caffeine, kind of the shit that you drink now. Oh, yeah. um, but anyways, Hennenlauter and his crew was like living off this Joel Cola because they were like working around the clock and stuff. Anyways, one thing led to another and they ended up getting sponsored by Joel Cola. And all they had to do is take pictures with, you know, the freaks and then put some product placement in their film. They got like all the jolt they wanted. And then they made Basket Case 3 off Joel Cola, <laughs> essentially. And it's funny because awesome. they're, they're interviewing one of the, the effects artists and he goes, it's so funny because Frank, they cut for one click, clip and he goes, man, all I remember from that film is drinking Jolt Cola. We drank a lot. And then they cuts to the makeup artist and he goes, man, one thing, I, uh, one memory I have of Basket Case 3 was all the fucking Jolt Cola cans everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny the way you said it, the way they edited that. It was That's funny. Fun. That, I mean, like, that would be my dream, like, to get sponsored by, like, Monster to make, like, while making a movie. Because, like, you know, I'd be drinking, like, tons of that shit. I already... Today I've drank four monsters. How messed up is that? Dude, your heart? <laughs> Jesus, man. That's so much caffeine, man. It's well, to stay crazy. up and do podcasts till four in the morning, three thirty in the morning. You know? I, I guess it totally makes sense, right? <laughs> so uh basket case three, man. I mean, is there really like a ton to say about this one? It's more of the same. Not really a whole lot, man. This is the film where you find all the Grammy Grammy Grana. Oh my God. Granny Ruth has a freak son. Um, and he's just like this. Wasn't her granddaughter a freak too? Yeah. Like she's got freaks. And this is why you kind of learn more about it kind of develops her character and why she's a sympathetic character towards all these freaks and why she wants to save them because it's, it's, close to home to her it's basically her blood right you, you know when basket case three started the progeny as they call it i was so fucking taken back by the fact that all these characters like all these freaks they're like Moonface and the frog guy like they were also in this one i was like holy shit like i did not expect that to happen yeah what they did is they took the the best ones from well what they thought were the best freaks from part two and then they kind of updated their look for part three and then added in a couple more. You notice that there's a few more like really fucking freaky ones in part yeah. three. You know, that's yeah, kind like, of was that did. giraffe neck one? No, that was not in part two. Yeah, that one was cool. Yeah, so there yeah, was I a mean, couple. I mean, they're cool to look at for sure. Yeah. But yeah. how about the chick in the <laughs> the chick who just like grabs like a whip and gets all like Oh, the sheriff's daughter? Yeah. The sheriff's daughter who seems like all innocent and stuff. And here's uh, Dwayne because he's now because he's on the run uh, still from part two. So he's now he's been captured in the film and he's behind bars and she's like kind of caring for him, not caring for him. She's at the jail just watching him. And all of a sudden she like breaks into this like dominatrix character. I'm like, what the fuck? And that's totally the writing of that. The Fangoria guy, man. Like, yeah. where does that come from, man? Like, what it, the it's fuck funny because like these films are filled with moments like this, but when she grabs the whip, she opens this little lock box and it's it's hanging there. And then she she pulls the levers that it's hanging on and it opens the jail cells. So the very yeah. idea that that whip would be in there makes absolutely zero sense. Oh, I know. Oh, I since know. the yeah. sheriff and the other people would notice <laughs> the whip in there when they put him in. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, leading into the into the third act of this film and it's, you know, it's pretty ultimately it's pretty tame. Uh, with the exception of, you know, uh, Belial's girlfriend, 
uh, essentially getting killed in the film <laughs> since we're, you know, spoiling things. Uh, and that's kind of the thing. Like these cops, they, they go to this house and they end up stealing all the baby Belials and stuff. And <laughs> so this fucking third act takes place in this jail cell or in the, in the jail. And it just goes batshit crazy, man. Like I love the third act of this film. It's great because there's just so many ridiculous moments and unexpected moments too. I mean, did you expect her to get, you know, shot the way she did and, you know, things like that, like the way it went down and like killing one of the mini Belials. No, like actually when she got shot, I was like, wow, that was pretty, actually pretty good. <laughs> yeah. And then, but, good then there. but then they make the whole scene comical because she slides down the wall and squishes one of the, the babies. Oh yeah. <laughs> and fucking I was kind of getting up. like a Jack Frost two vibe with oh, baby yeah. Belials. But yeah, it's just funny because she gets shot. She kills one of the kids. And then in in about 10, in about a four or five second span, it pans over and Belial snaps this cop's head backwards. And fucking all these people are just, it's like mad carnage all of a sudden. It's like, it just turns into this insane film. <laughs> I love that. You know, one of the things that I always think about moods is when it's just me and you doing these podcasts, like, like obviously Jeremy doesn't do this show anymore. But I always kind of wonder, like, what the fuck would he have thought of these? Like, because on one hand, he does, like, stupid-ass humor, too. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, like, he really doesn't like bad movies. Yeah, I I could see him hating. I don't know. I don't know. Two and three, definitely not. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe might not even like part one. I don't know. (laughs) Jeremy's weird sometimes because some of the films he does like, I'm very surprised. You know? Um, Yeah. And some of the ones he doesn't, I'm just, I, I never know what to expect. He's kind of, it's kind of a mystery box. So, um, you know, just a brief moment to step away from the film a little bit. Uh, so I watched this version, uh, this film on a UK edition, uh, from Synergy. It's the collector's edition and (laughs) I got this in a trade. Okay. So, so it's it literally on the case it says basket case three the progeny collector's edition <laughs> and then it has includes special features like in a in a circle like a red circle with white lettering it says it includes special features like it's a sticker on there you flip it over oh here's the special features so let's see we got scene selection we got trailer uh, we got Synergy Showcase featuring trailers of Maniac Cop, Exterminator, Frankenhooker, Red Scorpion, Basket Case, and Basket Case 2. <laughs> and that's it. That's, what that's all fuck? that's on the disc. I, I looked so. everywhere. That's, that's some goddamn false advertisement, dude. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It says Collector's Edition. Like, you know how Scream Factory has Collector's Edition at the top? It's like yeah. that. <laughs> and it says include special features on the case. Wow. Wow. I think Synergy is like, you know, they were like a super low budget company that uh, obviously were liars. Liars as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. I don't, I don't know, man. The end of the film. I, I. What do you think about the very end? Refresh my memory. Well, I don't want to give away the end. I mean, we'll just keep that to the people. Okay. Because like, because there's nothing after I'm that. I'm kind so. of forgetting. But, but anyways, I, I, it's okay. okay. I actually kind of like the way it, it kind of wraps itself up a little bit. But um, but I, I still think the third act in this film is – I mean the third act in this film is ridiculous. And then it gets even more ridiculous with – okay, I will say this. With Belial in that like robotic 
Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgot. That reminded me of Krang from uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Isn't it? I, I fuck. I never. I didn't remember how funny it was when when the sheriff actually he topples over the uh, the ro- the robot and you see Belial in there and he's going eh, eh, and just the way he's doing it, I fucking burst out laughing man I was like just dying man it was so funny man. I honestly did laugh more at this one than, than part two yeah come to think of it it is actually quite funny I mean you know the third act I think is better than the entire second film really this one it's it's ridiculous but it's fun though but yeah you know Dwayne's performance like i I know we mentioned the second one is completely over the top in this one at times you're like you know is it you know you understand why he's trying to act or his character's trying to be like that but it's like so ridiculous like the scene where you know he he's hanging out the bus in the straitjacket you know he's talking to the girl and it's just like yeah why like that scene makes no sense to me because any normal person wouldn't sit there and have a normal conversation with someone that's hanging out a bus talking about his brother that's in a basket in a on well, a trailer behind there in a straitjacket. Like nobody would just have that normal conversation. Like, she's like, she's like, oh, Dwayne, you're strange. Like she's like, it's like so ridiculous. And and not only that, <clears throat> but the uh, later when she he meets her again and he's like, oh, I can't tell you, you would hate me, and she's like. Oh no, but you know what I really love? You know what would make me love you? It's like nobody talks like this. This is ridiculous. <laughs> I know. You know, one thing I noticed in the film I'd never noticed before is when uh when Grammy Granny Ruth gets in the bus and she takes off, they fi- they show the um the bus going down, you know, the uh, the parking lot and then it turns right. Well, what happens is when they turn right that I noticed is the the basket on top of the trailer actually falls off. Does it really? Because it's not like attached. I noticed that. Yeah, it's totally not. It actually falls off, but it was like a total accident because it's never noted in the film or anything because when they show up at the destination, it's attached to the top and, you know, there's kind of one with the film, but you can see it falls off right when it edits. I didn't notice that. I I was like, oh, I started laughing. I was like, that's hilarious, man. (laughs) Yeah, so... So anyways, yeah, 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 I don't, man, I don't really have much else to yeah. say. Part three, I think it's, I think it's a pretty, like, almost retarded film. But oh, it's definitely retarded. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I like the baby Bilal's though. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, I like them talking about it. You know how they did all the effects. They they said they had so much fun doing all the baby Bilal's because what they did is I don't know if you noticed, but they kind of made different faces yeah, on them. Yeah, yeah, that's why I like them. It's <laughs> <laughs> so funny. Yeah. <clears throat> But uh, I don't know. Radiance, do you want to get into it? Yeah, I'll go first on this one. So this one I did enjoy a little bit more. Um, you know, man, it, it, like I think mostly what happened with these films is I was just so not expecting because I didn't really know anything about them either. Like I was not expecting them to be like this. And I was very angry that they were like this because I really, really, really like the first Basket Case a lot. Like it's it's probably in my top 50 favorite horror films Yep. And these are just huge step downs. And I was just like, just kind of, kind of just like, man. But anyway, this one I like a little bit more than the second one. I find it a little bit more funny, just as stupid, just as uh, problematic. But I also give this one a five out of 10. Yeah, I'm coming in the same boat, man. Uh, this one, I find the third act is really fun. 
but the rest of the film is pretty blah. Again, storyline very, very lacking. Uh, there are some funny moments, but there's like a lot of ridiculous and stupid moments where you kind of shake your head, scratch it, and go, "What the fuck?" <laughs> you know, it, it's just one of those things. It, and one of those scenes is I, I always think of uh, Granny Ruth. Gran, I cannot fucking say Granny Ruth. I, I don't know what it is. Granny Ruth. Why is that hard? I don't know. Granny Ruth. Like, why is that so hard? But anyways, when she goes into the fast food <laughs> restaurant, apparently where we missed uh, what's her face. Um, and she starts ordering all the food. It's like so ridiculous because it goes on for, I swear to God, like at least two minutes. And she's like, yeah, I'll get 30 cheeseburgers, 14. And she's like all these different random numbers. And I'm just like, how long is this going to go on for? Like, I understand the joke after like three seconds, not two minutes. You know, it's just like that. It goes a little over the top, you know, and it is due to the fact that, you know, he collaborated with someone with a totally different sense of humor. There is funny moments in this one. Um, I'm going to go with the same thing. Five and a half out of 10. All right. So not much change on either of our parts for that. So like, I mean, I, I guess like, even though we kind of disagreed a lot, like we pretty much agreed on all three movies. <laughs> Isn't that weird how that worked out? <laughs> yeah. It's funny. Like certain things that I liked and you know, didn't like, and I, I don't know, man, I think honestly, this movie loses so much merit with me because of the stupid musical scene. I think it's retarded. I think it's completely unneeded and it really, you know, generally I wouldn't just let one random thing, but it is like the whole fucking song. It's like a five minute scene, man. (laughs) You know, it's not just like 30 seconds. Let's just do this quick little snippet. We'll throw this in here. Never in history of like me making movies would I ever once consider to put in a musical scene in any of my movies that I would ever make. Me either. Not unless I was actually making fun of another movie's musical scene. (laughs) Yeah. Like if I was doing a spoof movie. (laughs) Exactly. And even then I would be reluctant. Yeah, I know. <laughs> because because you got to go out there and you got to get the rights to the song. And you know what it's like to get rights. It sucks. So, Moods, I got to tell you, man, wrapping up on the Basket Case films here, I'm a little nervous to go into Frank Henenlotter Part 2, Director Spotlight, because, like, I'm, I don't want to not like these movies. Oh, fuck. Well, just put it this way, man. Uh, besides... Besides the original Basket Case, um, Brain Damage is my favorite film. So okay, that, well that's one, and it, it's really good. Frankenhooker is awesome. Bad Biology. Now that's going to be an interesting conversation because that movie is batshit fucked up. The whole premise of the film is so ridiculous. It's so insane. Okay, so I'm hoping that I am a little more enjoying of these next three. But I honestly don't know a lot of people that don't like brain damage and Frankenhooker, though. So it'd be interesting. Okay. Well, that's good to know. Uh, So with that said, uh, I mean, do you have anything else? I don't. Um, I just want to thank everybody for all their voicemails this week. Oh, wait a minute. There was only one. Not cool, guys. Come on, man. You can't voice. It's a voicemail. (laughs) yeah come on guys you know leave those thanks voicemails everybody questions. for all your voicemail this week <laughs> all your voicemail <laughs> yeah you guys know where the number is give us a call drop us a line uh question voicemail whatever it is we appreciate it man we really really do um so jp take us out of here all right guys thank you for listening to frank Henenlotter's director spotlight part one the basket case trilogy i hope you guys all Come back next week to hear us argue more about movies, maybe a little less arguing, maybe a little more arguing. You never know. 
so come back. Also, you can drop us a voicemail. Just one. We'll take one this week. <laughs> uh, at 724-426-6665. Again, that is 724. Represent Pittsburgh. 426-6665. As always, you can head on over to the Facebook group page in which you will be very glad that you did so because that's where horror be at uh also twitter 22 shots podcast haven't been tweeting lately but i like our twitter it's fun to use so follow us itunes review is very much appreciated anybody who leaves an itunes review will be entered in all future contests i'm sure we will have a mega one on episode 100 that's for damn sure uh also guys please answer the question that we asked earlier you can also check us out on YouTube. I am Double Shot J. That is Mood Six One Six. We'll see you guys yeah. next time.